Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I begin part one of our two-part odyssey to answer questions from supporters on Patreon. Questions and answers today include scary comic book reading rituals, guilty pleasures, the worst substitute members of the Fantastic Four, Transformers, More Than Meets the Eye, The Amazing World of Epic Comics, New Suicide Squad, and Nocenti, Hoarders, and so, so very much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeffrey Lester! Graham McMillan. How are you? I'd like to point out that both of those names were correct, so well played, Jeffrey thank Lester. You. Thank you. I was going to start off uh, singing your name uh, to Oklahoma, but checking that last moment. <laughs> Jeffrey Lester, where the wind goes, right? Bum, 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 bum. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. It totally fits. Yeah, no, I, I was thinking that earlier, and not, not at all. <laughs> I, uh, it's it's a thing my brothers and I do, uh, where the um, gosh, what's that song from Music Man, Gary Indiana? We, um, I don't know. I've never seen Music Man. You. Well, this is this is my moment to have a prime <laughs> Graham McMillan moment. Graham, you've never seen. Oh, you've got to see it. You've got to see it. Actually, it's so, so I really have to see it, or are you just taking the piss? Well, I'm taking the piss, and that's usually the way that. In fact, I was having horrible flashbacks uh, to on, on one of our question and answer things, where I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be the point where Graham goes, Jeff Lester, you haven't read blank." Oh, well, that's one of the questions, though. What? That's one of the questions, like things we haven't read. Yes, I know. I know. Uh, listeners, we should tell you that um, this is a question and answer podcast. We, we we lied to you and said we'd do them every six months, which, you know, we're, we're kind of. I feel this might be our second this year, perhaps. Yeah, which is like six uh, months. Yeah, so we, we asked our Patreon supporters uh, if they had questions for us. And boy, did they. Boy, howdy, did they, huh? My goodness. Right? Yeah. And we'll see how many we get through. What would be hilarious is we managed to get through all of them because we, we shortchange all of them because we're convinced there's more. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, there's some, there's, you know, I was like, oh, we'll be fine. We've got this. I even started trying because some of them were stumpers for me. I had to start kind of thinking in advance about some of them and jotting oh, down notes and things. You read them. <laughs> But I haven't I purposefully, like, not reread them. I was right. going to make a list and, like, actually plan. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's so funny. I kind of felt like I was cheating by doing it. On the other hand, there were a couple of them where I could just tell, like, I was kind of, I was afraid my on the moment, uh, spur of the moment answers would be kind of flat. So I, I kind of oh, wanted I, to get I'm better value. I'm convinced the moments are going to be flat. But at least then you're going to get the, the, the real thing. Not Jeff Lester's practiced... <laughs> Script lines. Jeff, wrong for America. Wrong <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I really did. I was like, Graham's doing, he, oh my God, he's going for it. He's going to become a Republican presidential candidate. He should do this. He could he, make this work. Nuts. Listen, if these nuts can get 9%, then I think I'm going to get at least one. I know, right? Seriously, depending on, depending on the comic store contingent, you, 
maybe even three three percent. I don't know. Ed, I had someone on Twitter this week uh, hilariously think they were going after me, oh, really? which was the first time I've ever had that. I I was kind of taken aback. Hmm. What 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 happened? Uh, if you don't if I, you don't want to give it the time of day, I, I totally. I, I was being you. snarky about um, all new Inhumans being launched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, this is the third real, this is the third spin-off of a book that sold 23,000 copies mm-hmm. before Secret Wars, which is nuts to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, like, that's normally the point. I mean, that's like 3,000 away from where Marvel normally cancel books. And instead, they've had like three spin-offs. There's going to be six in humans books. Six in humans uh, books. That's part of, uh, all new, all different Marvel. Mm-hmm. Six, which is nuts when you consider that Inhuman sold 23,000 copies, right. right? Like Marvel are clearly doubling down. Yeah. Um, and this guy just was like, well, you just hate Marvel though, don't you? Why aren't they trying, like, why aren't you congratulating them for trying something new? And I was like, Inhumans is like 50 years old. <laughs> and he was like, I bet you'd be happy if they were gay. It was, it was wonderful. I, <laughs> I, and the best part was I, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to make friends with them. So uh-huh. I was like, yeah, that'd be great. That would be something new. Then we'd both be happy, right? And he just stopped responding. Of course. But what was great was the co-writer of the series just like, I've got some good news for you. <laughs> and I was like, see, it's wonderful. We're all happy. You get a human's book. I get a, a you know, LGBT lead book. Yeah, there we go. There we yeah, go. But he just didn't respond. Like as soon as I was like, "Look, that, that could be. Gr- of course, that'd be great. Wouldn't we both be happy?" He, he was just like, "What's that?" He's not like fighting back, right? I'm, exactly. I'm just gonna shut up. But yeah, it was it was fun while it lasted. But yeah, I, I got a I got a troll. I I was wow. I was kind of happy. <clears throat> it's true. A troll is a little bit. It, it's it is like a very unfortunate sign of success, right? Yeah. I have an troll fanboy rampage. I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, yes, the trolling, the fanboying of the rampage. Oh, there's just so much, so much we've got to cover today, Graham. There so, is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So uh, should we? Like, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do alternate questions as they came in? Sure, I think so. Or, me to just ask you lots of questions because I've got them open in front of me. Uh, and, yeah, I tried to compile some of them. Let's let's start with me. Um, how do I sound to you? You've been cutting out just a little bit, and I'm not oh. sure. I'm not. I uh, I was worried about that in part because my internet went apeshit earlier this afternoon, and I thought it. I thought it had calmed down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I might. All you sound great to me. You sound oh, okay, fine. all right. Well, let's. Uh, uh, yeah, my yeah. internet. Uh, it it basically ceased to work for about twenty minutes. What? Oh Christ! Ugh. You know, again. But, but that was. I mean, that was three hours ago, and mm-hmm. it's been fine for me since then. Okay, okay. So I just assumed there was some, like, problem, and it got fixed. Right. Well, that may be the case, but uh, I, I reserve the rights to, to throw a penalty flag on the ground if you... No, if no, you yeah, yeah. If, if something goes weird, then, yeah. then just let me know. Right. Okay, so I will start with Eric Phipps's question that I will read to you, Graham, and you may reply. Okay. Eric Phipps asks oh this is so funny i truncated it i didn't do the full question um <laughs> give me a second i can do the full question you, oh. do, you, you do the first bit and i'll do the second bit okay okay fine wait the, no i've got the second bit like i've got what it is well it's basically oh, it's, it's start yes. with alternatively yes wait. Oh, okay so he what he actually asks is i'm just curious about your guiltiest of guilty pleasures in the worlds of comics what is it sorry what it is what you like about it and why you're ashamed to like it Yes. 
Or alternately, your biggest blind spots in comics. What haven't you read and why? I'm really bad with manga, as you know, Jeff. Yes, yeah. I'm really bad with manga. Uh, basically, I need you to nag me into reading something or I just won't read it. <laughs> uh, and even then, many times I just won't read it. Yeah. But I, I remember specifically reading uh, Pluto for the first time after you've been going on about it for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And, and having one of those, why? Like, why, what, why was I, why didn't I? This is amazing. This is... Such a good comic. Uh, more recently, and completely away from manga, I had the same response with uh, Squirrel Girl, which I told you last time we did a Wait What. Yes, yes. That I really did have a, I love this so much, why didn't Jeff nag me more? Because <laughs> you did, you nagged me a lot to read that comic. Um, but yeah, my, those those are really, like, really embarrassing blind spots. Manga is a, is a really embarrassing blind spot for me. Mm. And I just... I just have, tr- I don't know, I just have trouble getting into it, I guess. Yeah. I, I feel much more aware and critical of tropes uh, that are no more prevalent than, you know, Western superhero comic tropes, which mm-hmm. for some reason I'm completely okay with. Mm, interesting. Oh, I can see that, actually. I mean, it sort of makes sense. I feel like, I, I have, I feel like, uh, as I think I've mentioned when watching things like foreign films and whatever, I, ha- I have a lot more patience with tropes and cliches in foreign media sometimes, so it's easier for me to let it slide. So I feel like in many cases, if I can overcome any particular hurdle, I actually find that my reading is a lot more, um, a lot less, uh, uh, what's the word? It, it's, it's just, it's a lot more naive, I suppose, you know, uncritical. Uh, how about your, how about your guiltiest of guilty pleasures? Uh, I really don't know. Mm. Um, that's, that's really difficult because I don't think I have that many things I'm actually ashamed of liking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, I can think of things I like that people just don't. Uh, as I've said many times on this podcast, my favorite crossover ever is Millennium, which I think everyone else hates <laughs> with passion. But I love it. But right. I don't consider it a guilty pleasure. No, no. Like, right. I, just, I, I completely, genuinely love it. Right. Um, guilty pleasures. Things I feel bad about liking. Uh, it doesn't really fit, mm-hmm. but if I didn't have Marvel Unlimited, I wouldn't read half as many Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of them are professional but soulless. Mm-hmm. And so when I, like when I'm, I've been, you know, when I'm like, I've got, you know, a couple of hours, I'm going to read lots of Hickman's Avengers. Mm-hmm. I almost feel guilty as in like, I'm wasting my time because there's so many better things that I would enjoy more. Interesting. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. So um, guilty so a little that, bit about the junk food in a way, the soulless junk food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, th- I guess that's how I'm going to answer the question. Okay. But I, I can think of lots of things that other people would be like, oh, no, that's totally guilty pleasure, like uh, back issues of Super Friends, back issues of Superman, mm. like 1970s Superman, absolutely adore. But mm. they're, they're, you know, they are also junk food in a very particular way. Yes. Um. So, but I'm not guilty about them. So, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say uh, Marvel Comics. <laughs> I think I think that's an interesting and and good choice. Lord knows, I think I, I wish I had been more on on point. I would have I might have chosen something. What, what like are that. yours? What what is your guilty pleasure? My guiltiest pleasure, because it is something that I remember both incredibly fondly, and yet I'm still sort of mortified to talk about it 
more or less out loud, uh, is Crying Freeman by Kazuo Koike and uh, Ryoichi Ikigami. Uh, you may remember me discussing about this uh, yes. in an earlier podcast, Graham. But, uh, but I, I don't remember it being so bad that you would describe it as your guiltiest pleasure. Well, as far as I can tell right now, it's probably my guiltiest pleasure because Koike's work is just... I just like it. So it's like impeccably crafted pulp work. And it, you know, it's, there's usually a little bit of historical or real world knowledge in it. There's villainous villains and there's just crazy over the type batshit fights. Like it's, I, I think I said, like Crane Freeman is like Batman, except he's also having lots of sex, you know? And <laughs> this is actually where, uh, Koike, I think is, is arguably almost all of his work. You know, he wrote Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, Lady Snowblood, um, Shogun Executioner, or is, uh, or is it Samurai Executioner? Um, you know, re- Tears of Rage, stuff that has been so terrifying and off-putting to publishers. They've never published it here in, uh, America, you know, because the dude is pretty messed up when it comes to female characters. And that I think is the, the, the reason why this That's is the really guilt. the, yeah, the guilty pleasure is, is that even in crying Freeman, where most of the female characters who end up falling into bed with Freeman are like sort of ass kicking badasses, they're not real people. Like it's pretty much. <laughs> It's like it's like Kate Beaton's strong female characters cartoon, except except in Japanese manga in the seventies, you know? And so it's it's cringeworthy and in many cases there's just way too much because seventies exploitation stuff is really founded on a real, st- I, I, real strong. I don't even want to say it's an undercurrent. It's a current of rape. And Koike has ridiculous amounts of scenes that look like rape is imminent. Uh, and then if you're lucky, it doesn't happen. But in a lot of his other comics, it does. It's a motivation for a variety of stuff. And that's just, it's just icky. You know, on the other hand, I really honestly, Crying Freeman, when he is basically, you know, he's a, he's like a nude kung fu genius who like battles, you know, people wielding electrified whips on top of submarines, like buck ass naked. And then later he's going to end up, you know, like having his like amazing panoply of super powered women character wives from all around the world with their special powers, like turn the tables and help defeat, you know, some outrageously evil organization. It's it's awesome, but it is also like, you know, but it is genuinely like, oh, I can't. Uh, this is not it's not progressive fiction at all, you know. Yeah, what what's fascinating is first of all, when you're talking about rape, I was like, oh, Alan Moore. Right. Secondly, when you're talking about reading and cringing, you made me realize I've been rereading Invisibles. Mm. Um, in large part because I've been getting the deluxe hardcover versions at the library. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because I wanted to see what the special features are. And spoiler, people who bought them for the, or is thinking about buying them for special features, don't. It, the special fe- well, the, the special fe- there are no special features in the first one. The second one is pretty much like here are some fax pages. Oh man! Go, or send the Vertigo office. Yeah, it's it's in terms of special features, it's kind of terrible. But it's Invisibles is simultaneously a series that I hold very dear, mm-hmm. and a series that has aged 
horrifically. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking Bob Haney Teen Titans horrifically. Ooh, wow. I can see that uh, actually. Yeah, it's it's so much of its time mm-hmm. that it's – are you hearing the dog just making that noise by I, the way? It, it, no, because of the miracle um, of your internet, it actually sounded like a plane flying overhead by for like uh, a second and a half. Close, it's close enough. It was a dog going – Oh, okay. um, but it's it's so dated and it's so much of its time mm-hmm. that that it reads cartoonishly now. Mm. Uh, in a it, it reads cliched. You know, there mm-hmm. there's the scene in uh, the second storyline where they go to San Francisco to a rave and they drink smart drinks. Mm-hmm. You know, and at the time in like whatever that was ninety three, mm-hmm. like that. Not that it seemed like smart or cutting edge, but it didn't seem as laughable as it does now. Right, right. You know, and 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 on top of that, you also get Morrison's very well-meaning uh, take on 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 being sex positive and on being LGBTQ positive. That is also just, uh, you know, your faith is problematic, as they say in Tumblr. You know, yes, yeah. I, I, and so it's it's such an interesting thing to reread now mm-hmm. because it's so old fashioned. Yeah, yeah, I would think it's so. It's so amazingly old fashioned and, and so. Uh, Grant Morrison is a well-meaning white man, <laughs> you know, and and you're so much more aware of it now. You know, or at least I'm so much more aware of it now. I I want to ask you because I'm curious. My memory of of those books and it's. Very, you know, it's it's old. I I haven't reread them any time at all recently. But I remember thinking that, uh, it, I found it fascinating that Morrison with um, Lord Fanny could actually create a character that, you know, a transsexual character that that was. Well, although I'm not, I don't know if transsexual or transvestite. Uh, it, it, you know, that you had, that you had a, at the very least a character in drag that seemed to be created with a tremendous amount of empathy and affection. And, but like, boy is. Oh, boy is, boy is not really there. Yeah, is really uh, a problematic I, I, handling. Yeah. You know? well, what's really interesting though is I remembered pretty much your take on it. Mm hmm. But then you read it today, mm-hmm. and there's scenes in the second half of the first year. Uh, there, there's this, uh, a sequence of stories called Apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Oh, which yeah. It's like the origin of, of Fanny. Yes. And parts of those scenes take place in a gay bar. Mm-hmm. Right? And they are amazingly offensive now. Mm-hmm. Because it's. Because Morrison did invest Fanny with a lot of care. And mm-hmm. a lot of love and a lot of attention. But then he populates her world with just outright stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And like paper thin stereotypes. Right. Uh and and it it's and also almost always surrounds her with no one accepts Fanny until they achieve enlightenment, for want of a better way of putting it. And there's something really problematic about that. Mm-hmm. You have to become cosmic, cosmically aware before you can accept a transgender character. Yeah, you know, and so you you get a lot of that bleeds through, and I, 
and like I said, you're very aware that Morrison is well-meaning. Mm-hmm. And, and also, that Morrison is progressive for like 20, a comic is 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, compared yeah. to the most of the majority of the mainstream back then, by far. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But looking at it from today, well, I, I, I did cringe a number of times reading it when mm-hmm. I was rereading it recently. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe that's a guilty pleasure. Maybe the fact that I, I do genuinely hold it very close to my heart. But my my response on this reread was kind of like, yeah, I think I love this better from a distance. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love this for what it was when I was reading it first. Right. Right. Well, and I, I have to say, sometimes I think, I think that's good. You know, I feel like for such a long time, I could reread and sort of reappreciate the things that I read, you know, growing up. Um, but in order to, to do so, I essentially kind of had to stultify my own tastes and interests. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, oh, totally. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of that where it's kind of like, there's a certain amount of sadness that happens to me when I reread stuff and I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't, this isn't so good. Like, this is not great. But on the other hand, there was also that flip side of like, well, hopefully that means that I'm a little bit better about finding stuff you know, that responding to it because arguably it really is, uh, has merit or also, I don't know, you know, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, something that seems to have leached into popular culture in part as a result of comic books, but also just the mass need for every film to have a franchise kind of concept is this idea that if there's a character, we always have to love them. You know what I mean? Like, and it's kind of like, I, I think maybe, maybe there might be something that's relatively okay about being able to let go Spider-Man and leaving it for the next, let the next generation, like, do something or have something with it. In fact, one of the things that I find problematic is I'm like, okay, I let go of, you know, Spider-Man or like, you know, but it's still being written by 45 year old men or whatever, you know? Which I don't, I have no idea how old Dan Slott is, but like seeing how old a lot of the creators are that are in charge of stuff at DC, I'm just like, you know. I'm going to find out how old Dan Slott is. Dan Slott was born in 1967. God, he's a year younger than me. This is sort of my point. So, (laughs) on the other hand, I think he's telling pretty good Spidey stuff, but it is kind of that idea of like, yeah, I don't know, you know, let's. can I just say that I loved that Marvel announced yet another Spider-Man series this week? Did they? Oh shit! Yeah. I Amazing Spider-Man issue one point one will be the launch of a new miniseries, which will be issue one point one, I guess, and maybe issue two point one or issue one point two. It's unclear, uh, but it's going to be a parallel miniseries written by one of the guys who writes Agent Carter. Oh, and I guess right. what it's about? What? Uh, you won't remember them. I definitely didn't remember them. A team of religious superheroes introduced in Daredevil Father by Joe Quesada. <laughs> and zombies in Harlem so that Spidey has to address his spiritual side. Wow. Once again, everyone, Marvel can't do an LGBTQ lead without coming up with a suitable story, a story that really merits it. But they can do zombies in Harlem and Spidey teaming up with religious superheroes to deal with the spiritual side. 
Yep. In a standalone miniseries. In a standalone miniseries that just... Bleh. All right. That's also called Amazing Spider-Man. Jeff, what is your blind spot? My, before we move on, your blind spot. My blind spot, uh, I now definitely have to say, is definitely... It's Daredevil Father by Joe Quesada. No, uh... <laughs> That's true. I haven't read it. I don't think of it as a Wait, blind you spot. You can fix that. It's on yeah, Marvel Unlimited. That, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know if it is. I'm sure it is, though. Right? I, I'm, I, you know, it's weird. For a while there, it was almost like – I want to say it is now, but for a long time, it was one of those deals where they had like the first three issues or something like that. And then they finally got around to getting the fourth issue in. Right before the Daredevil TV series started up or something. I do love their complete randomness. The other week they added in the missing issues of The Incredible Hulk, the first series. Right. Which issues 402 and 403. Wow. Why those issues? Who mm-hmm. knows? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We don't know, but maybe there's a clue inside the contents. Um, so there's a lot of stuff I have blind spots about. I'm happy to say that, like I said, a lot, I, I will fess up to them on the podcast and have Graham just be like, Oh, Jeff Lester. But, uh, the two biggest ones these days that I'm really embarrassed that I haven't gotten into, like, uh, Walt Kelly's Pogo and Howard Chaikin's American Flag. American flag especially is the touchstone, it seems like, for the majority of people writing about comics on the internet these days. Um, <laughs> I and, think you'd love the first like year of American flag. I have, I have the, I pay, I bought the dynamite collection of it, you know, the digital version yeah. of that collection that came out, and it's been, it's been sitting unread on the iPad for like a year. That's the problem with buying digital stuff. It's really – we will get to this later in response to another question. Oh, good. But um, uh, there is a particular thing, Jeff, Mm -hmm. that we both have digitally that I only got around to reading in the last week, and we've had it for months. Oh, no, you didn't. Uh, I know where you're going with this. All right, but let's let the the listeners discover this this delightful – Okay, next question. Yes, Matt Diggs. I yep. will do it. Okay. Uh, do either of you have any rituals associated with reading comics, i.e. picking books up every Wednesday, making yourself a savory snack to eat while you read them, queuing up some light jazz for background music? I can tell you that none of those are mine. <laughs> Jeff, what, what do you have? You get your books on a regular basis, don't you? Well, I, you know, okay, so I do, but I have to say, like, um, I almost always, because of when we record on a Thursday... I almost always go and pick up books on a Wednesday, um, except, ironically enough, when we have a skip week, more often than not, or sometimes even a Baxter building, I will I will skip that uh, visit to the, the comic book store. So, uh, my, interestingly enough, I feel like I have a ritual for everything but reading the comics, like... Um, every morning I check Comixology for sales, uh, which is totally embarrassing because I have more than enough digital comics. So um, many that you haven't read American Flag yet, in fact. Yeah, exactly. That's what's keeping me. Uh, also, similarly, every mo- morning, Monday morning, I open up the Marvel Unlimited app just to see what they've loaded on there. You're uh, so organized. Uh, no, it's just it's just obsessive. And then sometimes I'll like go through the just added stuff and I'll I'll. I'll choose and put them in my library, which is hilarious because I'm really far behind on reading anything on Marvel Unlimited. But um, 
but this re but the recent batch of FF issues for our Baxter building apps, um, you know, I kind of needed to read them in like single page format instead of the landscape format I use with the PDFs. So, um, and also some of the PDFs that, that they scanned are terrible quality, like the the, the annual uh, five. Oh, really? Terrible color plates uh, blurs. Oh, really? That's like, a which, shame. Which made it in certain places like illegible. Really? Wow! Yeah. I'm sort of glad I missed that. I think yeah, you, sh you should take a look back and, mm -hmm. and look at them because it's annual five in particular has really like surprising printing problems. I I guess not surprising because it's not like they had many copies of annual five to scan. Right. But it's surprising that they didn't go. I wonder if we can get another copy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is interesting. Um. So, but you, don't have, you don't have any rituals for reading? Well, wait, wait. I'll tell you a few more rituals, but yeah, then we'll. <laughs> so, so the other thing that I do that the, the two other rituals that are super embarrassing is uh, one is after I buy digital comics, um, I have to keep a digital budget, or else I go. I tend to go way off track, and in fact, in a couple of recent months, I've gone way off track anyway. So. Uh, also, I find there's a problem with uh, digital comics or and also stuff that I buy for the Kindle. Like if I don't that that because it's out of sight, out of mind, I can forget about it altogether, which I find is not great unless I sit down and specifically. Anyway, all of which is to say I have a spreadsheet on Google Drive where I log uh, comics that I've bought and then. When I read them, I go through and I color code the cells so that I know that they've been read. Um, you are very organized. No, that's... I, I, I am honestly doffing my metaphorical cap to you. <laughs> I, I, I could never do that. Really? I, I find it intensely soothing, but and that's the thing. I don't think it's organized as much as... Um, I know there are some people who, who, with real OCD, who are always annoyed when someone refers to something as as OCD-ish. But it is there's 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 more than a little bit of the compulsiveness about that. And finally, the last thing that I should do that I should mention is is that I also log uh, the last three or four months. I've started logging comics in a different um, worksheet after I've read them because it includes you know stuff that I've read in hard copy. Uh, and that can be really helpful for us, for me, when I'm talking with you on the podcast, because sometimes I can't remember what the hell I've read, and that makes it really easy to look at it. Also makes it easier, easier to figure out what the hell I'm going to be writing about for the for the website each week, because sometimes I'll that's, be like, yeah. That's all fascinating. I'm fascinated by all of that. <laughs> Thank you. And yet, weirdly, all that said, those those are the rituals. I do not have any rituals with actually reading them. When it comes time to read them... It's grab a stack and sit on a couch and there's no real music or light or prep. I mean, I find that I read, I like reading digital, as you know, more. Sometimes I'll be obsessed with a, a volume of manga. So I'll read a manga volume and leave a lot of my other stuff sitting aside. But that's, that's pretty much, I would say, but no, but it's all in the prep and the afterwards, not really in the actual reading and, and yourself. Uh, my ritual is, is all about a place, mm. which is if I have a lot of comics to read, so if I've just been to the store or if I've been to like one of the swap meets or something mm. and I have a stack of comics, uh, I almost definitely have to read them in the living room, lying on the couch mm -hmm. with, 
uh, a glass of water, and the dogs. Uh, it's the point where, like, if the dogs aren't around, I might actually put it off. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, That's and I, I, I can't really explain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because until I got this question, it wasn't something I really consciously thought of. But I, for print comics, I either read them there mm-hmm. or in bed. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. Like, I don't, I don't read them elsewhere. Yeah. Like, I might reread them elsewhere, but read them for the first time. It's either going to be in bed or it's going to be on that couch. And if it's on that couch, it's probably mid-afternoon. Mm. There's there's definitely no music. Right. Um, yeah, it's... it's I, I, Matt, I, you brought this out of me and I didn't know about it. <laughs> you know, one thing that does that sort of always frustrates me is that growing up, and by which I mean like well into my mid to late 20s, I read comic books kind of at the kitchen table, like while pay, while eating and paying no attention to my, whatever I was eating. And I just, I, by and large, I cannot do that. I do not know why with comics, like even with like, uh, the iPad, you know, I just, I can't, I can't do that while I eat anymore. And, um, it's probably healthier for me, but I really miss it. There was always kind of a great hand in hand, like new comics and a good meal kind of thing going on. That I, I can read digitally while I eat, and do often. That's great. I really wish I could. I was sure that I would be able to. And you know, honestly, all I need is to to maybe if I just started taking my little iPad stand out to the kitchen table with me, it would work. But I don't know. It just doesn't work, and that may well be my weirdo eyesight too. Because mm-hmm. if I'm reading digitally, chances are I'm in the the room watching television or mm-hmm. kids watching television, and like I'm just. But that's more. Uh, it's there and it's super easy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah, and and another thing, I really was sure when I got the iPad and I put comics on it that I was like, oh, this will be great. I'll totally read because my my commute is, on Bart is not especially long. It's very short, between like 8 and 13 minutes. Um, but I'm like, eh, I could read a comic book during that time. You know, it's usually it's closer to a full experience than literally, you know, I don't know, five to ten pages of whatever book I'm reading. And yet I find that I never do it. I'm just way too uh, – I'm not self-conscious reading comic books, but I, I'm I'm actually way too self-conscious about taking an iPad out on bar. I was going to say I think I would be too. Yeah. <laughs> We're both as neurotic as each other. <laughs> when I lived in San Francisco and when I worked downtown, mm-hmm. uh, I'd read all the new comics on the bar going home. Oh, right. That's great. Oh, sorry, on the – uh, yeah, Muni. Yeah. No, 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 no. You were yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah on the Muni going home. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and that was great because mm-hmm. I my comic store, like I could do my comic store on the way home. Mm-hmm. I could take the I could take the Muni to whatever the name of that park was, and then Comics Experience was just uh, like two or three blocks from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I yeah, I loved that. I loved doing that. Yeah. Uh, uh, God, I can always blow the name of the park. In case people are wondering, it's it's the fuck. I always want to say Dolores, but it's not, and it's going to drive me crazy because, of course, Edie actually lived right off that park for many years before she moved to Bernal Heights. I can't remember. I can see it in my head. I yes, I can too. In, anyway, in my, we'll de- in my defense, I've not lived in San Francisco for seven years. I know, and in my defense, I've lived here for thirty, and I'm still living here. So, uh, Matt Miller, move? indeed. 
Matt Miller's first question, has anybody polled creators or even reported anecdotally as to whether creator profits on their Comixology sales went up or down after the iOS storefront closed? Two, what creator known for their 70s, 80s, 90s work would you say is most likely to produce a late period masterpiece? Graham? Okay, question number one, I've not heard anything. Yeah. One way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be honest, I don't think you're going to hear. Right. Uh, you'll probably hear things in private. I don't think anyone will ever say, that's not true. Jim Zub might. He's, exactly. he's a big Exactly. Jim say, Zub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but other, otherwise, I don't think you're going to hear anyone say yeah. anything one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but again, privately, you'll probably hear. I told you, Jeff, that I did a, I said in Twitter, hey, if anyone who's worked with Marvel has any, ever had any projects killed or pushed back because of LGBTQ content, mm-hmm. email me. And that was like the most retweeted thing I've ever written. Mm-hmm. It went everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the grand total of two emails. Yeah. Um, because people don't want to talk about these things and completely understandably, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I've not seen anything. I don't think you're going to. Right. Um, what creator known for their 70s, 80s, 90s work? Do, are we to pick one known for their 70s, one for the 80s, one for the 90s, do you think? Wow. I think he was just trying to cover a spread. So. Uh, I so want to say Engelhart, but I know that's not true. Yeah, but it's so kind of a shame, right? Engelhart. Exactly. Exactly. Um, a late period. Well, I'm Graham thinks about say, it. Yeah, I'm going to cheat and say... Uh, Peter Milligan. Wow. Interesting choice. And it's cheating because I feel that like he was 90s enough mm-hmm. that, like, he's still active. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're saying 70s, that almost no one is still active. Well, wait. Who are you say- Wait. Did you say Peter... Milligan. Oh, for some reason? You said Milligan? I'm like, yeah, good old Peter B. Gillis. Like, I... I <laughs> oh, man, weird. I'd love to read a Peter B. Gillis comic. Yeah, you know? Like, I kind of had that, like, great pick... But, um, but yeah, very, um, but Milligan. No, I kind of see Milligan because it's true. Part of the thing that I think is a tough question, uh, to, to jump in here for this number two part, Matt, is, is that I feel that, that, that yeah, some of the guys in the seventies, super long in the tooth, some of them, you know, by, to the point where there are dudes in the seventies who were producing stuff in their nineties that arguably you could say was their quote unquote late period masterpiece. You know what I mean? Like, um, I mean, I don't know, a dude who I can't necessarily, I responded well to the work, but somebody like J.M. DeMatteis who did Moonshadow, you know, in the nineties, I think had been in the industry something close to 15 or 20 years by the time that rolled around, you know? Um, Moonshadow was in the 80s, Jeff. Oh, was it? Shit. Yeah, Moonshadow was out, out for Epic. Oh, like, you're right. What am I thinking of that he did? In, didn't he do something in the 90s? Fuck. He did a bunch of stuff for Vertical. Yeah. Uh, he, and also Piranha. Do you remember Piranha Press? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did Brooklyn Dreams for Piranha, which was actually kind of great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Mercy for Vertigo. Right. I don't uh, think that was he it. also did. Uh, what was this? Because he did stuff for for cross chain that people loved. Yes, that in fact Disney actually like yeah. licensed. Yeah, Abazad or whatever. Abizad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was basically why Disney bought cross chain. Yeah, right. Because they wanted the rights to that book to Abazad um, so badly. 
So, yeah, was, I mean, Tomatis, and he's still working comics now. Yes, that's tr- totally true. Uh, right, exactly. Um, for doing some stuff for DC. Although I think that's, honestly, I suspect some of the guys who are still around doing things, especially for DC, uh, owe a lot to Dan DiDio being a huge Marvel fanboy in the 70s yes. and 80s, as and, far and as and I can just tell. Yeah, them on. Yeah. 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 I, I oh, really think so. And Nushenti. Ooh, and Nushenti. Wow. And Nushenti, I still feel, has like a great fucking comic insider. I think she, I think so, too. I think so, too. I think because her work is so strangely idiosyncratic, it doesn't quite age in the same way, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. in that sense, she's almost, to me, to, to, to the third time we mention him, he'll actually appear in person. Uh, he, she's sort of like Bob Haney in that way, to me, you know, in mm-hmm. that her work is really does manage to be timeless because it was almost... It was always out of time. It, it was, was always out of time. Exactly. Always. Um, and also, she, yeah. she sort of did her career backwards. Because when she first came out as a writer, she was doing, like, really interesting stuff, like Someplace Strange with John Bolton, mm-hmm. which no one ever talks about now. Oh, yeah. But it was, was such, like, a fascinatingly... Fa- idiosyncratic is a great word. Mm-hmm. A fascinatingly idiosyncratic comic, mm-hmm. or long shot. Long shot is that which I think was her. I think of is her first work, but probably uh, or, or like even her Daredevil stuff. You know, well, was see, all that's it. on the fringe, exactly. and then she then you know she disappeared from comics. She went and did a lot of journalism. She went and did High Times for a long time, mm-hmm. and she came back and she did interesting but far more generic stuff at DC. Yeah. And I, I would love to see someone hire Nascenti and basically let her go crazy again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set her up as a great artist and just let her go. Well, let her go crazy, but also in a little bit, I think one of the things that is rough is, I mean, apart from they threw her in on Catwoman at the last minute, is it would be nice to see her work on a book where she is more or less uh, bulletproof, you know, where it's not just um, something like, Clary and the Witch Boy, where it's like, where the chances of it even making it to issue 12 first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that book was born to die, let's yeah, be honest. Exactly. So, you know, Catwoman in that sense is close, but, you know, one of the things that's. And, so, and I maintain Catwoman's a, a really interesting read now. Which I totally believe. I would actually love to grab the stuff. And, I, and I'm not sure I'm saying it's a good read, mm-hmm. but it's a very interesting read. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you remember, she did that story for the Daredevil Black and White special with David Aja work, uh, art, that is kind of gorgeous. Is really pretty, pretty impressive. It, if nothing else, it is someone who, you know, wrote a story and totally knew to let the artist do the heavy lifting and had it worked out great. So yeah, I think, I think, I think Nocenti is, is capable of more. It would just be a shame. I I don't know how we'll necessarily get her there. You know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, if she'll really like, get that many opportunities. Do you just give her a Vertigo book? I'd love to see her do a Vertigo book. See, and that's what I feel is the case, but I feel like Vertigo itself seems like such a, again, I, for myself, it could be wrong. Even though they keep saying otherwise, all of Vertigo stuff has Born to Die uh, stamped on its head to me. You know, I'm super curious about these new launches in October through December, mm-hmm. because you don't launch 12 new series if you're really expecting them all to die. Do you know what I mean? Like that—that that feels like they are actually making a commitment to the line for the first time in a long time. 
I hope so. I hope so. But I think one of the things that I find problematic is, well, and this used to be very, it, it waxes and wanes, but the last few years of vertigo of marketing for vertigo was, was super anemic. Their output was, was anemic. And I also thought their marketing what boiled down to one move, which is launch the first issue at a dollar. And that was pretty much it. You know, it's kind of amazing to me in a way that you have Scott Snyder, who has been selling Batman comics through the roof for 40 issues now. And I could be entirely 10,000% wrong, but I don't think I've ever seen an in-house ad for like, say the wake trade paperback in there. You know, I am fairly sure that you are a hundred percent wrong. Yeah, I'm sure I am too. Cause I, I want to say that at some point there was even an advert for the relaunch of American vampire, like in the mainline DC. See, book. I think there was a relaunch for American vampire too. I agree, but I, but I, at the same time, I, I, I'm, I'm like, fairly sure that the wake got promoted when the collection came out. Okay. Okay. Well, I hope I, I'm wrong. wrong. Yeah. But I, I, I want to say it is. I but you're right. They, they could definitely be doing far more cross promotion. They yeah. could definitely be doing far more promotion in general. But when you look at something like, and this is a terrible suggestion because this is also selling terribly, but Prez, mm-hmm. like you could cross promote Prez with some of these new vertical books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Actually, there's a very slender fingernail of the new DCU titles that completely remind me of what would have been vertigo titles in like 97 98 even like yeah. 2003 or 2004 and um so on the one hand part of me is like i feel like that almost blurs it even more so i think i think vertigo the fact that they've got 12 books i think that says something if nothing else maybe just they got tired of the number of people who, you know, while talking to them at bars during Comic-Con were like, you know, there's no reason why you guys couldn't have had what Image Comics is having now other than you deliberately oh, no. strangled I, that. You know? I think there's lots of reason why they couldn't. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think that Image... I think that the uh, We're Independent thing mm-hmm. helps Image in a way that DC could never leverage mm-hmm. um, I think the it, it, and it's a long time ago now but I think the Kirkman uh, manifesto mm-hmm. helps image in a way that DC could never have I think Walking Dead helped image in a way that uh, DC could never have and I think that the comic culture's disdain and mistrust of DC is so entrenched you know that, what? That I think Vertigo is always going to hurt from that, mm. even if they somehow managed to make Vertigo be promoted. You know what? I I don't know, Graham. Like I, I I'm I'm hesitant to believe so because I feel like every creator worth their salt nowadays has a I wanted to pitch to Vertigo and more or less got shit on trying to even get in. The oh no, I'm not saying that like Vertigo didn't do anything wrong. You, yeah, but I mean, I'm also Vertigo saying... Has, yeah. Vertigo has a lot of problems. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at things like the Royals that came out last year, but mm-hmm. I think was created for a Wildstorm like five years earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Vertigo was, up until super recently, mm-hmm. amazingly slow and had absolutely no identity as a line. Yeah. 
And, and what little identity he did have, it then confused even more, where it's like, and now we're publishing Astro City. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, so this is a superhero book? Uh, what? It's not <laughs> mature readers? Like, right. what is Vertigo now? Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, I don't think the, I don't think Image's success is repeatable by anyone, and I definitely don't think it's repeatable by DC. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, how do I put it? I agree with you with the specifics, but I suppose in the general contours, I, w- I could spend a lot more time arguing with you, but, but fair enough. Um, let me jump back to, well, so let me quickly answer my two things for Matt and then I can get the hell out of the way here. Uh, creator known for the seventies, eighties, nineties work, most likely to produce a late period masterpiece. This sounds absolutely completely insane, which is an ironic way to frame the, uh, my reply. But, uh, I honestly think that Dave Sims, the strange death of Alex Raymond could be stunning. What I've seen of it in, in glamour puss, I thought was amazing. It is, it would not be a late period masterpiece in the traditional ways that we necessarily think of it. Um, in that I think that people, but I, but I do think that it could be a masterpiece in that people will be reading it and talking about it. And it might even have like some, some sort of something close to, I, I think if Dave Sim ever really does crack mainstream literature, it's very much going to be in an, in a, oh my God, look at this outsider artist way. This is the most amazing shit you would never expect from someone who's clearly a lunatic. You know? uh, I'm super curious. Why would it not be traditionally a, a, a late period masterpiece? Well, uh, because I... It feels like perfectly set up for that. It it does. It does. Uh, and it may actually happen that way. Uh, I guess for me, the reasons why are that... When I think of people talking about a late period masterpiece, it's usually the idea that someone comes back and either they're at the peak of their powers or in a way that their powers have matured. Like there's usually a concept of maturity there. You know what I mean? Like it's very much a kind of the celebration of this person coming back is like, oh my God, look at what they've learned. Or, oh my God, look at how much more the X, what's the extra element X that they bring to the work that makes it a late period masterpiece that's shocking and surprising in in relation to their earlier work. You know what I mean? Okay. I, I could be wrong. That's totally my my little mental head when you know people say, "Oh, late period masterpiece kind of thing." Uh, uh, is especially put in the framework of of a comeback, I guess. Uh, and I feel like Sim is the stuff that I've seen that was uh, that was being serialized in Glamour Puss is um, is is remarkable for its craft but also for kind of, um, in a way, it's sort of lunacy. Like, how do I put it? Like, The Strange Death of Alex Raymond, for those not in the know, is basically Dave Sim reconstructing a drive that Alex Raymond took with, Jesus, was it Milt Caniff from Steve Canyon? I don't even remember it anymore because it's been like five or six years since I've read the pages. But it's an actual biographical uh, incident that happened with Alex Raymond uh, when he went for a drive in a sports car that was owned, again, I want to say by Milt Kenneth, and that 
how do I put it? Sim manages to put as much historical importance in this drive as many people would put into the Kennedy assassination. And that is what makes it spectacularly brilliant. So, but the, what's problematic is, is that if you were reading the, if it were, say, a novel that you were reading, part of what would be important for the novelist would be the degree of knowing distance that they put into the work. In other words, the thoughts that Sim are putting in the heads of Raymond, uh, Kenneth, Kenneth's wife, um, are so um, like strangely omnipotent and uh, in, in a way that you would be like, like like if it was an Ian McEwan novel, you'd have to be aware of the narrator because the narrator's crazy. Like there would have to be that additional element. You just couldn't have Ian McEwan write this book about it. People would be like, crikey, he's a bit of a nutter. Um, and, uh, uh, and and it's and it's really genius work for that regard. I really do think it's brilliant, but I also think that there's a very crucial level of um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like there there's a there's a, a way in which we have to attribute a level of knowingness to the creator that I think that Sim doesn't can't really qualify for. And I feel that there's a lot of reasons why that's frustrating. To jump to, has anybody pulled creators as to whether creator profits on the comics elegies went up or down? On the one hand, I would think that the profits went up since there's no longer a kickback to Apple for in-app purchases. And so in theory, stuff being bought on that storefront uh, through Comixology on the website, that third now goes back to the creators instead of being kicked to Apple. So on the one hand, it's possible that, that some books may have seen like a bump up on profits. On the other hand, if the reports... Um, being mentioned through Bleeding Cooler to be believed digital sales and comiXology plateaued uh, in the last year or so. And it would not surprise me if that is a direct result of Amazon and comiXology closing basically a, a digital storefront portal, you know, the digital yeah. newsstand well, being an in-app purchase, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's by removing the Apple storefront, mm -hmm. you you add an extra barrier to an impulse buy. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, I'd be really I'd actually be really surprised if uh, profits didn't go down. We'll see. So that's I it. Think mm -hmm. You lose a lot of purchases that way. Yeah. But we don't know. Yeah, I think it's and I think it would be harder to measure, especially for some of those guys who come in, you know, who've come in since the books have started, you know, uh, um, you know, who've started publishing books and this, where the storefront has been closed the entire time. They're just not going to know. Um, you, you'd really have to see someone who sales were, who've been, who's been, you know, popular in comiXology long enough, like someone like Walking Dead, maybe to really give you an idea of what those sales were like and what happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Bender asks, what do you guys do with your old red comics? Recycle, donate, sell? Are you living in a house made of thousands of long boxes? I know you're both doing more and more digital, as am I, but the paper still adds up over time. There's a there's a part two of this as well, but let's tackle part one first. Yeah, part Jeff, one. what do you do with your old creative comics? Hoard. I hoard them. There was there was a period where um, between the annual garage sale in my neighborhood and comics experience buying comics at about 50 cents a pound, I got rid of what I'm estimating now is something like 16 long boxes of material over like a four to six year period. 
How many comics fit in a long box? 300, 350. So... 16. Yeah, I think so. I think so. There was definitely a garage sale year where I got rid of eight long boxes of material, for example. And there were times where I was selling stuff to Hibs in about two to three long boxes at a go. So... Um, maybe 16 is over the top. It's maybe it's closer to 12, which is still, uh, still, that's a, that's a chunk. I mean, you're talking like 4,000 odd comics. Exactly. I'm now currently at 24 long boxes of comics, maybe really 25. And, um, that's so many more comics than me. Yeah, I will. I know because you sold your collection. So I, I, I'd be interested in no, hearing your No, I didn't sell. Thing, I, gave, I gave it away. Well, you gave it away. Right. I'm interested in getting rid of my comic collection by the time I'm 50. For people who are wondering, I'm an old fart. I'll be turning 49 soon. So I have a year to basically catalog and move this collection. I'll still be keeping like graphic novels and I'll still be reading comics in digital. And I'll probably continue buying comics at the comic book store. And then what my hope is, give them away at the end of every yeah. year, essentially. Yeah. I, I donate is what I do. Yeah. Where do you donate to? To the uh, library? There's, no, there's an organization here in uh, Portland called Pair, mm-hmm. which uh, is dealing with underprivileged and homeless kids. Oh, wow. And in, in like a, a in, in creative endeavors. So like mm-hmm. they help art music, they help them create art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't even remember who turned me on to it the first time. But they they were very happy to take comics first time. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they'll just be upfront. Mm-hmm. We can't do anything with them. But did, other times they do. And in he, the past, sorry. I was going to say before I, you should go on, but wasn't it something like Joe Keating mentioned it on Twitter or something like that? Does that sound I, right? I honestly don't remember. For okay. some reason I thought it was Rachel Eisen, but I think it might actually predate me knowing Rachel. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm I'm on, sir. Um, but in the years where they don't take them, yeah, I just give them to goodwill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in fact, probably this weekend, I'm going to be giving a bunch to goodwill. <laughs> don't uh, do it before I come up and visit Grant McMillan. No, Jeff, you, you don't want these comics. Trust me. <laughs> I, I, there's I there's some stuff I'm I'm uh, purposely keeping hold of until you come up. Ah, that's very sweet of you. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so generally, I I donate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried selling uh, years and years and years ago, back when I was still in San Francisco. And to be honest, I by selling, I mean selling online. Yeah. Oh, uh, and to be honest, it was far more effort than than it was worth. It I, really it, is. It really, really is. Really yeah. And, and just ended up in a slog. Yeah. Uh, and I've tried selling collected editions since I moved to Portland. Mm-hmm. And I've not tried Powell's yet. I should try Powell's, but definitely trying the local comic stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the response I got was, with the exception of one store, the response I got was so amazingly disinterested yeah. that I'd rather donate again. Yeah. Um, I will try Powell's at some point. There's a Powell's within walking distance of my house, so I mm, should try that. That's right. You should, yeah. Uh, but with the exception of, of one store. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the end, I ended up giving to another store, and I massively, like, I basically gave them away mm-hmm. just because I was fucking sick of having the books. Yeah, which happens uh, a lot. But but I but like I knew at the time mm-hmm. that I was like these are worth, you know, even as secondhand books, these are worth like four times what you're giving me. Yeah, no, which is which is, and that's one of the things that I think is kind of interesting to me is is like. 
because I, I actually approached Hibbs and was like, look, <laughs> kind of like, I've got 8,000 comics. I, some of them, a lot of them are, are kind of like quarter bin, dollar bin junk. Some of them though are comic, Marvel comics from the seventies that you can actually get money for, you know? And I'm like, just give me to like, but I want to move them all. I don't want things cherry picked. I'm like, just give me like, all I want is $4,000, which it averages out to 50 cents a book, which is probably less than I could get if I like, but of course then there's the effort, you know? And of course Hibbs was yeah. like, Oh no. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way. I'm like, <laughs> if only you could bring them up here. Cause I'm sure you could do a deal with like Excalibur or something. You know, well, we'll see. Yeah. I, now that I've got just, I may well have everything logged in an Excel sheet by the time I come up. So maybe that'll, that'll be a thing that I can try, try with them. But, you know, part of me is like, somebody, please. But the fact is the nature of the back issue market has really changed for comics, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and one so, of the things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was going to say one of the things that, uh, Douglas Wolk actually told me is, so Douglas, like me, when I say I donate comics, the majority I'm donating are comps or things I get in the mail to review. Right. Uh, and Douglas has exactly the same problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Douglas A gives them away to people. Mm-hmm. Like literally, have you ever read this? I will give it to you. Right. But also, there's a comic swap here, which I told you about in the past. Yes. Um, and it's literally they rent out a room and for the afternoon, you know, you just have a bunch of guys selling comics for incredibly cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Douglas had a table at one. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty much giving the comics away there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I want to say six long boxes. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those, are you really excited about that comic? You can have it. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? It was, it, and otherwise, it was, you know, something like 50 cents a comic or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that might be the future. Yeah. You know, I think that might be the way to get rid of them. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mark also says, uh, when discarding paper, what criteria do you use to decide whether you'll keep it? I try to ask, will I ever read this again? But there are favorite books that answer probably not that I still keep. For example, Crisis or G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. First of all, read G.I. Joe again. It's great. Uh, <laughs> what do you know you should toss but can't bring yourself to do so? And then hashtag hoarders, Jeff. <laughs> yes. Well, like I said, as a hoarder, I'm currently I'm, – I really want to get rid of just about everything in digital – I mean everything that I've got in print. Um, because if I start cherry picking stuff, then it never ends. Like there's stuff that I was, you know, cause we've gone through. You, like, you've like made attempts to get rid of stuff, Jeff. I have. And it's been, it's been pretty hard. So I think I've, I think I've come a long way. I think, but for me, part of it is kind of like, for the most part, it's all or nothing. It's like, I'm going to keep a hold of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that I have in trade. I'm going to keep a hold of, and then, and then in theory, everything that I have is digital I will keep that. The one thing that is super problematic are books that people have given me as gifts and or stuff where, um, like, honestly, God, I want to say it was Stephen Williamson, I think, sent me a run of Rom Space Night, which I need to read. That I, and I literally am. I'm like, I cannot get rid of that until I, until I read it. You know what I mean? Because it's that idea for is a it long the whole time. Run? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Jeff, holy crap. I don't know. I don't know, right? And it, it is. It's like, why haven't you read that? And I'm like, uh, it's back in the log boxes. It's stacked up. Each one's bagged and no, boarded. No, I, t- I can totally remember why. I can totally understand why haven't you read it. Yeah, but, but still. It's more, 
Like, that's amazing. No, I know. Believe me, I was incredibly, um, you know, I tried to pay him back. I gave him my, uh, my Walt Simonson Thor omnibus, uh, in, as a sort of trade after the fact. Cause I thought that that, cause I was really touched by it, but this is going to be great. I'm going to get an email from him after this goes up. It was like, that was not me. <laughs> and some other person's like, like thank you thank yeah. you for that thor exactly exactly uh so yes um i i i have a much more um yeah uh, unthought out am i keeping it or not i literally i go through them and I'm like am i likely to read this ever again mm-hmm. um and if not they're probably gonna go even if i love it mm-hmm. um one of the hardest things for me when I moved to America was that I gave away my entire collection. Yeah, wow. Uh, the only things I didn't were Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, and that's because I didn't think it would ever get reprinted because of the Flex Mentalo stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was it. Wow. And there were other comics I loved more that I was like, it'll probably be reprinted or I'll probably be able to buy it again. Right. Um, And and that, that was it. That was the, the one thing that I didn't. And have you, like, have you rebought any? And if so, which ones? And which ones are you hoping for? Uh, yeah, I rebought Millennium, Jeff. <laughs> That's right, you did. Uh, you know, I, I, the only things I've rebought, I've only rebought if they're super cheap. Mm-hmm. I've not spent money rebuying things. Like, mm-hmm. the most else, uh, and this is kind of a, uh, for the most part, my benchmark when buying back issues, mm-hmm. if it's more than a dollar, mm-hmm. I will really pause. Uh, but, you know, if it's one of those, you know, 12 books for a dollar, sure, I will get, like, I will not even think. Mm-hmm. Sure, I'll get them. But if it's like $2, I have such a problem. Mm-hmm. I got the all the Engelhart Justice Leagues, when Ooh, you remember, right? That's right. And the la- I want to say to complete the collection, it was like, 250 for the last issue and i hummed and hawed about that never mind the fact, you know i would buy a new comic for more money yes exactly exactly but we- i i was like can i do it can i justify it in a way that right. you know i just didn't for you know here's the new issue of the fuse you know don't right. even think about that right but this comic that i really wanted to read really wanted to read yeah I, I really was like, I, it's, it's pricey, it's expensive. You know, um, and I think if I'd known that that mm-hmm. was going to be my attitude, mm-hmm. I might have thought twice. I probably still would have given it away because I couldn't move it. Like, I, I came to America with, like, two bags. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I, I literally couldn't have done it. Um, but... But, uh, yeah, I, I, I might have been like, well, maybe I can ship things. Or maybe I could, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly comics that I miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it's true. There's a bunch of stuff I've rebought digitally. Oh, good. Uh, it largely, if, especially if there's a sale. Mm-hmm. You and know, or... Anything you, you want know, to name out loud? Like the Englehart Green Lanterns, or no? Yeah, no, I, I've definitely got the Englehart Green Lanterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm trying to think what else there was I bought digitally. That was the first thing that came to mind. A mm-hmm. um, bunch of Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I can't think of what else. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what I did buy, like, physically? Mm-hmm. Uh, Levitz's Legion. Mm. Levitz's Legion, uh, I ended up getting a full run of. Wow. Which I didn't even have in the UK. 
Mm-hmm. But I ended up getting like that because I go through periods where like that's my thing. So Levis's Legion was my thing. Mm-hmm. Then Engelhart's Justice League was my thing. Currently, it's uh, Mantlos Micronauts. Ooh yeah. And then like when I I either lose interest or get them all, and then mm-hmm. move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in between, there's been like Kirby's Captain Victory, which again I could get the whole run for cheap, and yet because the issues are like two dollars, I just I right. Yeah, you said great things about it, but that Which and is, yeah, but yeah, it's like what's that two two ninety nine? I don't know, you guys. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. So, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I especially because there's stuff where it's like, like you said, there's a few new comics that I bought this week where I bought them, and then I was like, oh my god, that was four ninety nine. What was I really like? I know it's. 30 pages, but Jesus, five bucks. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, that's really the thing. And between that and Marvel Unlimited, like that has pretty much killed my Marvel buying. Mm-hmm. Because Marvel's the one that does the five buck comic. Yeah. And I know that if it just takes six months, I can read it. Yeah. And if I really want to know what happens, the internet will tell me. Twitter <laughs> will probably tell me the comics out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally true. Mm. You know? Moving on, Roger Winston. Do you want to tackle this one, Jeff? Yes. Good old Roger Winston. He says, uh, my question is, do you think the stories and the early Marvel U in general would have been better if Kirby had had more free reign and Stan hadn't rewritten him so much with rewritten in quotes? As seen with the DC Fourth World, Kirby was very capable of writing on his own with awesome results. Appreciated more now than it was at the time. But I think his experience in the Marvel Mill is perhaps what allowed him to get there. Uh, I don't think the Marvel U would have been better if Kirby had had more free reign. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would have been different. Mm-hmm. I think it could have been absolutely awesome. But I think Lee is, is Lee's hucksterism is essential to what we understand as Marvel. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, as much as we will always give him a hard time on Baxter Building, right? Uh, and as much as he deserves a hard time for stealing everyone's stealing credit for everyone else's ideas, yeah. Lee brought Lee made Marvel into what it is, and so I I I, I might I might have liked the Marvel U better mm-hmm. if Kirby had had more in, but I it wouldn't be what it is. Yeah, I think that I think that actually what's what's hard for me is as I've gotten older, there are things that I'm a lot more blasé about that were super important to me as as a kid and even as a young adult and those are those things are things that i feel that lee actually was very strong at bringing to the forefront at a certain point it's it's clear that if nothing else well okay so so to cut the answer in half I think if Stan had rewritten Kirby more sensitively, like because of our reads on the Baxter building, I'm flabbergasted by the times where uh, Stan rewrites Kirby in just a really dumb uh, kind of impulsive way. Uh, But I think sometimes if he had continued to rewrite him, like continued to provide the a certain degree of the dialogue followed where Kirby was going with the plots or actual happening in the actual scenes um, had been, you know, somewhere closer, somewhere between 
somewhere closer actually to an incredibly um to an editor i suppose than than a writer i think that there would have been some and and by all accounts lee was actually a pretty tremendous editor uh a lot of people have said uh, although i don't think kirby needed the sort of um hands-on communicating he didn't that sort of editing. Yeah, he yeah. didn't need that sort of editing but there are times where like even reading as we did in the most recent baxter building looking at kirby's uh is this a plot or this is a plot with a question mark i don't remember which it is which he wrote it's like kirby skips things narratively like his brain is working faster than sometimes what goes on the page even so i th- i think he would have benefited actually from a very from a sensitive editor but and to jump back to the part where I agree with you, I do think that, for example, Lee put a, a huge emphasis on continuity that, like I said, I don't think Kirby cared much about, apart from when he was trying to maybe put together new gods, when he was trying to create a mythology of books that in part he wanted to be able to hand off to other people and supervise. Um, you know, I think for the most part, looking at the stuff that he does on Fantastic Four, he doesn't really care about continuity. And I'm at a point in my life where continuity matters so much less to me than it ever used to. But but part of what hooked me on Marvel was continuity and the idea that the pieces all came together and mattered and people grew and changed. And and I, I don't necessarily know if Jack is the best at that. So, so yeah, part of me is... It's this it's this weird horrible feeling of like Kirby. It, it, it feels horrible. To, it feels horrible to be like, no, I think Stan's like important and integral. Yeah. So, uh, given ever like how shitty he was, you know. Yeah. It's like I think Stan's very evil. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of close to it, but evil. But just saying necessary evil makes me feel like a shit heel for saying like, yeah, but no, exactly. But I do you think. Do. But I do you think do so. Feel yeah. Bad. Mm-hmm. You have that moment. I've just been like, oh shit, is he really? Yeah. 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 Uh, Charles Forsman. Yay, Charles Foreman. Wonderful. Charles Foreman uh, asks, what legacy, if any, did Epic Comics leave behind in the industry? Were they just before their time? Were you sad when they went away? And tied into this, what were some of your favorite comics published by Epic? What Jeff Reister. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I in only... order, what legacy did Epic Comics leave behind in the industry? You know, okay, so one of the things that I find is frustrating is is that um, I feel that Epic, to me, Epic is a lot more reactive than tends to get presented on the face of it. Like, uh, on the face of it, it feels like the official history is this is a thing that Jim Shooter created um, because he felt passionately about it. And I personally feel that, that Shooter was very aware that they were losing a lot of significant talent, um, to comic, alternative comic, uh, companies like Eclipse and First Comics, um, and, or even stuff like Star Reach, for example, which it had work yeah. done by Bruner. Uh, and Jim Starlin. And I think Starlin, in my understanding, if my memory serves me, is actually a really important figure for being able to sit. He actually hammered out some of the original arrangements and agreements with Shooter for Epic Comics for allowing 
comics creators to create their own uh, copyright, you know, their own material, own the rights to it, and uh, also be able to get things like royalties and stuff. So I feel that happened and existed would not have happened unless Marvel had felt that it had needed to. And I sometimes yes. wonder if the one-two punch of Epic going away was, even though it was disguised as, well, you know, Archie Goodwin's past, Archie, who was the editor of Epic, editor-in-chief of Epic, was really Epic Comics. And since he's gone and no one can do it as well and he's a much beloved editor, we're just going to, you know, get rid of oh, the line. Jeff. Yes. You're misremembering the end of Epic totally. I, well, I was going to say, this is me suppositioning, because I don't remember okay. the end of Epic. Yeah, and that's that's my well, problem. Uh, Archie I... went over to DC for, for years. Oh, did he? My, oh. Epic was handed off to different editors, yeah. Okay. Oh, right, because it's... Ep Epic um, was basically right. killed by Image. Yeah. Was it killed is, by is... Image? See, I feel like even before it was in, before Image, it was kind of on the wane. It was kind of a well, little kind, bit it was like... It kind of on the wane as soon as Archie left. Exactly. But it was kind of on the Archie was there. But Archie went off to DC for years before you know, he died. Thank you. I I was completely misremembering that. I thought for some reason he had. But admittedly, that's the thing. I stopped paying attention for Epic for, uh, on Epic before it closed, in part because I feel like Epic wasn't really doing stuff that rang my chimes. But I also kind of feel, t for me, that as companies like First and Eclipse and other things disappeared from the marketplace epic kind of didn't need to exist anymore and also you know what i mean like i feel like it went away it was it was something that marvel never viewed as more than a necessary evil um and i yeah I could it, it was uh, again was the necessary evil yeah. um was epic ever your your jam did you ever have some favorite epic books well yeah i mean back when i was back when i was a kid like i I've written about this elsewhere, but like it was pretty exciting for me to see Jim Starlin doing Dreadstar. Like going back and rereading that stuff recently, thanks to having a digital collection of it again, I think via Dynamite, I was like, ah, oh, this stuff is kind of leftover, you know, kind of has a little bit of um, warmed over leftovers to it. But frankly, it was the most Starlin I'd ever seen in one place. It's, I think it ends up, his run on Dreadstar ends up being longer than, like, you know, Captain Marvel and his Warlock stuff jammed together, really. And it's kind of him doing kind of a post-Star Wars Jim Starlin comic. It's... Uh, so at the time, I really, I, I really dug it, even though at the same time, it was like, I dug it in like, a, oh boy, I'm picking this up every month, but I'm aware that it's, it's not a game changer. Whereas, for example, Electra Assassin, which came out under the Epic Comics imprint, is a huge game changer. I mean, that is just, wow, what a piece of work. And I don't think really, my understanding from looking at Wikipedia before we talked is, in part, they they kind of brought in Frank Miller, kind of begged him to do something for Epic because the line was struggling. So, uh, and that that was amazing because I feel you that that process, like Frank Miller walks out of it a very very different person than when he walks into that project. I feel, uh, and the work itself is just amazing. Um, and then, you know, I think overall there's, uh, oh, and I also have to give a huge shout out to, cause Epic also was tied into some of the Marvel graphic novel stuff too. So the first Starstruck graphic novel is 
huge for me. The Elaine Lee, Michael Kaluta sort of science fiction epic that, mm-hmm. that, that for over 30 years now has been promising to fulfill its potential and I don't think ever will, <laughs> you know, but that first graphic novel felt so confident and so enormous. It has so much swagger and just felt like, um, like just really kind of inspiring in its momentousness that I, I adored it and adore it still. I should give a shout out to martial law, which was really my first taste of anything like what was happening over in the UK in 2000 AD. Like, you know, it's Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill totally fucking hating on superheroes with a, a thinly veiled quasi judge dread analog. And, um, is it was, was, um, such so dark, much more nihilistic than just about anything on the stands at that time. And I also feel that there was a period where Epic was almost like a really good introduction to the rest of world comics. You know, they reprinted Akira. Akira. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was like, why are you not talking about Akira? Akira is massive. Akira and, and also, yeah, Airtight Garage, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. There was some, they did some great stuff. Uh, Moonshadow was Epic. That's right. That's also worth pointing out. Which was also pretty uh, and major. Also, uh, oh God, there was something else that Tomatis did with, with Epic that I totally can't remember. But Epic also did um, what did they do that I love? They did Metropole, which was really big for me at the time. Ted mm, McKeever's Metropole. Ted McKeever, yeah. Like, was, was, was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they did Someplace Strange, which I was talking about before. The, the Unshanty book. They did Video Jack. Oh God, the Keith Giffen, Gary Bates book that, that is just <laughs> absolutely nuts. Yeah. But again, you know, when I read it, it was like, what is this? Epic was one of those lines when you are getting into comics mm-hmm. that it can be a great introduction to just other ideas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so things like that. They did reprints of Cadillacs and, uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, mm-hmm. or whatever it's, it's really called. Zenosaurus Tales. Yeah. 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 Tales, yeah. Which I loved, 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 loved those comics. Oh, interesting. Uh, and they, they did a bunch of things that I didn't read then and now really want to hand down. Right. Does that make sense? No, totally. Uh, they did, like Bill Mantlo and Jackson Geist did, did a series after Micronauts about pirates. Oh, yeah, wow. Uh, Steve Englehart's Coyote, I want to read. Void mm-hmm. Indigo, the mm-hmm. Steve Gerber book, I want to read. The super like, short lived. Yeah, there's yeah, some amazing stuff. Yeah. stuff I, I totally would love to read. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, was all just slightly before my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, oh my God, it's, you know, it's those guys whose stuff I love kind of in their prime doing non-superhero stuff well but it's interesting for me like at the time because i was i was of the age for epic but like stuff like coyote i was like oh boy and like three issues in i'm like i don't like this at all (laughs) so i'm kind of like i'm prepared for that but i'm also super curious about that yeah you know like i just just want to read it Mm um it's funny so so he asks you know were you sad when they went away and i really wasn't because mm-hmm. I remember Epic's dying days, where they're like, and now we've got a new series from Peter Davids and George Perez, Sax right. and Violence. And I, I bought that fucking comic, Jeff. Wow. Because I loved it at the time. And it's terrible. It's terrible comic. Yeah. Um, 
and that you know they were doing a lot of you know and now we're doing you know Clive Barker literally shat this idea out and we've hired some nobodies to do comics and it really felt and I wasn't even a massive epic fan when I was a kid but it felt at the time like oh this is getting painful yeah uh, because and this is why I said image killed epic what epic offered pre-image was a chance for the big name creators to do creator own work mm-hmm. uh, Basically, in a safe environment, mm-hmm. in an environment that's direct market and and uh, only direct market, and Epic was only direct market, uh, but in a in a supportable way, mm-hmm. and you then have Vertigo and Image coming along and offering basically a better version of that, mm-hmm. and people just stopped doing interesting work through Epic. Well, I, I and I could be wrong here, but I always felt like the work was in Epic was was really hit or miss. Like, you could get oh, it, stuff. It was. Yeah. There, there was some terrible, terrible stuff in there. Yeah, and I think that was the thing that I found super problematic. Sometimes it was just stuff that... I know, like, for example, we were talking about Rick, Rick Veach the other week, which I don't think you were m- much a fan of. But, like, you know, the one is has some really interesting stuff going on in it. It's an interesting read now. I didn't especially enjoy it, but... I, and I felt that was it. I really felt that, that Epic really managed to, to cover the range of having something that was a turnoff for everyone, you know? <laughs> that's when you know you've got classic stuff going on. Yeah. So, so I think that's the thing. I, I, it feels like it took, even after the opening days of Image, I feel like it took a long time for there to be, uh, a, a, a wide enough group of creators with broad enough interests and talent to actually make um to make an entire company of creator own books kind of palatable or sustainable because there was a lot of times i would pick up books and i'd be like this is just not this is not you know and admittedly sometimes it wasn't for me but there were there were times where i felt like a lot of epic stuff was like oh this looks lovely and is is incomprehensibly dull to me so yes you know yes. yeah and, you know, there, there was a bunch of let's be polite not good stuff yeah so that was probably but also epic when i was a kid kid like mm-hmm. in the 80s epic for me was literally the place that did dread star elf quest reprints and what was the third one grew yeah, grew the wanderer. Right, right, right. Those were like the three cornerstones. That, that was epic. Yeah, that was epic more than anything else. Yeah, well, because uh, those books really did come out month in and month out. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of miss that. Weirdly mm-hmm. enough, yeah, you know, the the idea that like it's the point. It's it's the Marvel place that did weird work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, nowadays I feel that Marvel won't do anything unless it's Star Wars that doesn't connect up with it. All the other books. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah. Everyone's counting down until Star Wars does a crossover with the Marvel Universe. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't think that that would ever happen, but yeah, probably, probably. Oh, I, I, it's going to happen within five years. I, you know, I will take your word for it. If we're still doing this podcast in 2020, Jeff. Oh, man. Let's move on to Tom Broadhead. Are there any artists or writers who have done something so offensive to your preferences that you just can't forgive them? For me, it's Leandro Fernandez, whose run in Queen and Country saw Tara Chase in a goddamn mesh top for no reason. And 
and generally drew like <laughs> a sex terrible. fetish. That was terrible. I remember that to be like, what? So no. angry. I didn't see that. I'm glad I didn't. Oh, yeah. oh God. It's, yeah, I remember reading in the reprints. Like, you're like, okay, you know, they're all, they're playing it down. It's kind of understated. I really like this. And then Leandro Fernandez just comes in and he's like, what if I hypersexualize the main character and put her in a mesh top Ooh. with, by the way, enormous breasts? <sighs> and it's like, how, what? How? Yeah. <laughs> How did how did this happen? Like, yeah. how did no one say anything? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it happened. It, it really is terrible. Um, I I I don't know. Um, I'm trying. Oh yeah, Paul Galisi taking over from Cameron Stewart and Catwoman. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. That was rough. I do. That was remember. terrible. Like mm-hmm. that was a, a horrible mismatch for everyone, and made me drop the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I to this day still do not know what happened at the end of. of Brubaker's Catwoman because I was just like this is terrible yeah yeah this is offensively bad I get like even though I still like the writing I cannot continue to read this book mm. you uh for me well I gotta tell you um you know I don't know if it's exactly the same the, the, uh, well there's two parts let me talk about the ones where just you know what's weird is is at a certain point I I liked Beth both Jeff Loeb and Tim Sales work enough that I would at least pick it up at the comic book store and flip through it. And in some cases ended up buying it, I suppose. And both of them, I, I basically would not cross the street to, to look at a book of theirs unless really people on the internet that I trust are saying good things about it. So like there's ads for that Captain America blue and I'm like, yeah, all white. Oh, Jeff. sorry. Is it white? Right, because it was Spider-Man it's Blue, Daredevil, but, uh, no, Red. Captain America yeah. is a great name for a title to run when your main Captain America is black. Well, sure. It Good you know, job, yeah. everyone. <laughs> it's the time is right. The time's right. They had that book forever, and they were like, there's going to be a time where we're going to need the white supremacist market again, and this is it. Yeah. Exactly. Let's do oh. So yes, Captain America. I'm like, I'll so, never see. So the what was your, what was your turnoff point for for them? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it was. It's a good question because I know for Jeff Loeb, it was somewhere around the time that I think he started in on Ultimates and or Ultimatum. Yes. And yeah, I was going to say that was when I, that was when I gave up with Loeb. Yeah. That was when I went from, no, it's dumb, but it's fun, yeah. to, oh, shit. Yeah. This exactly. is just terrible. Yeah. And and terrible in this weird way that I feel almost retroactively colors the the rest yes, of his exactly. work, you yeah. know? Like, this, this is joylessly and cynically terrible. Wait, what if everything before was also cynically terrible? Well, like, or what even if, what if the joy before was cynical? Exactly. Not so much that it was terrible, but that it was that cynical. And that's, and I've just never been able to re-see it. And then Tim Sale, I don't know if it's in tandem with that or if it's, uh, there was something that he did up after, I think after that DC solo issue. But I just, I read it and I was like, I don't have any interest in this guy's visuals at all anymore. Like, and maybe it was Solo. Maybe I picked it up, looked at that issue of Solo, and then was just like, you know what? This this guy's got a repertoire for him, and I realize I have no interest in it, in it anymore at all. Solo was a surprisingly unforgiving 
book mm-hmm. from certain creators. Yeah. You know? It was like, yeah, here you have 48 pages to show off all your tricks, and you better have enough tricks to fill up 48 pages, or it's going to be very obvious that you only have a certain number of tricks. That's true. That is, that is very true, and I felt that really got double underlined with him. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at some of the other solo stuff, see who ended up in solo to feel how much I, I, that's the case. Um, I, what, what's fascinating is like the Brandon McCarthy issue I really uh, like, but it shows how much of an acquired taste he is. Mm. It shows that Brandon McCarthy really doesn't have that much range. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe it. I believe it because there is a little bit of like, you know – He's like gamma rays, short concentrated doses. You just don't want to do much more than that, you know? So, uh, do you know you jumped over a bunch of questions? Did I? Wait, no. What? What? Hmm. Uh Presuming you're doing them chronologically, which I thought we were, Uh uh, you jumped over like three questions. Maybe they were three questions that didn't come to me? Like, were they emailed to you directly or something? Nope. Let him run. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark Ray says, "Who was the worst Fantastic Four substitute member?" Oh, that came that came later. That came later for me. So yeah, sorry. Uh, I had I I. That's a good question because we're not quite there yet. I I really think it's Crystal for me because I don't. I've never come across an issue where it made any her powers made any sense. She was treated in anything like a a rational way. So yeah, I think I think she's my least the worst currently. Uh, I am going to say from the more recent run, uh, Scott Lang, who's like filled in for the Fantastic Four like twice now. And really? Both times wow. is shit. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's not, interesting. Not a fan of Scott Lang. Yeah, he fills in, uh, he fills in when Rita's dead, uh, in the Tom DeFalco Oh, in the right. DeFalco stuff, huh? Fascinating. Yeah. And then he is part of the replacement team in the Fraction era. Right. Right, that that FF book, uh, and you get emo Scott, as only Mad Fraction can write. Oh dear! And I mean that only Mad Fraction could write that character like that. Um, and it's and it's just and I say that as FF being by far the superior of Fraction's two books, mm-hmm. but man, <laughs> mm. sorry, God, yeah, not a fan. Um, did you also have Patrick Gaffney's question? Yes, yeah. Yeah, did these all just come out of order for you? It's yeah, so I guess weird. so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the easy one. Besides the burn run, what is the thing you look the most forward to getting to in your quest to read all of uh, Volume One of Fantastic Four? And then once you've answered that, Graham, great, good answer. Uh, and then, do you want to hear? Should I ask the deep cut question, or should ask I... the deep cut? Yes. Uh, before, let me answer that though. Uh, mine for me is I'm looking forward to all the stuff when I actually read the FF, which is like the Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler stuff coming up to 150, the Thomas and Perez stuff after 150, and even down to the Wolfman Pollard stuff up to 200. I think most of it's going to end up being incredibly dull and derivative. But I'm really hoping some of it's going to be, <laughs> damn it, Graham, is going to be kind of weird and interesting. But, but yeah, maybe not, you know. Um, I, I, I will say Simonson is also what I want to read more than Burn. Yeah, I, you I, know. I, I think the Simonson run is like the be- second best run that's ever been on Fantastic Four. I am, I'm, I'm. It's interesting. I'm looking forward to reading the Burn stuff because I feel like I looked at the early stuff and I looked at the later stuff. And Burn may be one of those people whose work 
managed to turn me off his work almost retroactively, except I can look back on stuff that he was doing like for Iron Fist and X-Men and being like, oh man, that's great. But knowing that he kind of undergoes that sea change through FF, I'm really interested in reading it, but I'm also a little scared. Um, And then the bonus Graham only question is, uh, I remember reading Graham back in the day at Fantastic Four, uh, sorry, Fantastic Four, Fanboy Rampage, and I would like to ask him what stands out to him about doing that blog and how he thinks it led him to his current career. Uh, I can answer literally how it led me to my current career. That'd be great. Which is... Uh, I got the job at io9, which was my first regular paid writing gig. In fact, I got all of my first pay- regular paid writing gigs mm-hmm. from Fanboy Rampage. Wow. From pe- people having read and enjoyed Fanboy Rampage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, it was literally a straight line. Um, someone asked me recently mm-hmm. what I, uh, basically what I, how I felt about Fanboy Rampage. I'm super embarrassed about it, to be perfectly honest. Are you? Wow. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I was, I think I was a dick a lot of the time, and a lot of it was conscious, and a lot of it was subconscious. Mm. But I am, I am really. I think I also enjoyed a lot of it, but almost everything I enjoyed about Family Rampage was the community that grew up around it, mm-hmm. as was anything I did. Hmm. Um, I loved the comment section with a mm. passion, <laughs> uh, but. I, uh, yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed about it. Hmm. I'm kind of embarrassed about a lot of it. Um, I'm really glad I did it. Mm-hmm. Not only because it led me to my current career, but because just I like I met a lot of people through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there's it's it feels very much like something that I would. Something that has to be done by the age I was at the time I did it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Right. You know, like there's a lot of comic journalists right now who just drive me insane. Insane. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's so egotistical and so uh, arrogant mm-hmm. about the importance of their own opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that Vampire Empire was totally that, you know? I feel I feel that Fanboy Rampage was was very much me being like, "Hey, you guys, <laughs> I tell you how it is." Well, um, but I think for the most part, of, yeah, it for what it's worth, it didn't necessarily read like that, which is I think part of why it was as successful successful yeah, as it was. Which is great, but but yeah, you I see it behind it. it. Yeah, yeah, I look back at a lot of it and just being like, "Oh shit, mm-hmm. oh balls." <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm 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 kind of embarrassed about it. And it's mm-hmm. funny because I know a lot of people are always like, "Oh, you should bring it back," and I couldn't do it the same way now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only have I changed, but like, the comics internet has changed so much, mm-hmm. so fragmented, and it's so all over the place, and it's so immediate mm-hmm. that it just because like I used to do Vampire Rampage, I'd get into my day job and I'd spend like the first couple of hours looking around the internet and picking stuff for the Vampire Rampage every morning, mm-hmm. and these days if you did that like you know twitter would have had the backlash and then the backlash of the backlash right and then probably forgotten about it moved on to another appalling thing right you know four hours before then well i, uh, I also yeah, I, I don't i don't come back 
feel that there was something, if nothing else, one of the, one of the things that I think really, um, aided you was the fact that there were sort of colonies of message boards back then that as far as I know, just don't really exist now, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, that, that's, that's not a thing so much mm-hmm. on social media. Yeah. So now that everything's uh, gotten yeah, diffused yeah, that I, way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it again for multiple reasons. I am really embarrassed about a lot of what I did, and, and, which is funny. I feel the embarrassment is really recent mm-hmm. and might be something that I grow out of. Mm-hmm. But right now, yeah, it, it's kind of like, I'm really glad I did it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if the if the internet ate it up today, I'd be perfectly happy. Wow. Interesting. You know? Hmm. Yeah. Moving on. Yes. Uh, do you have the Michael Tomasula question? Yes, and that's the one I have next. I think I just got these okay. after I got the other one, after I got the uh, Tom Broadhead one. So Tomasulo asks, have you guys talked about Transformers More Than Meets the Eye by James Robert at all? It is inexplicably, inexplicably excellent for a book about toy robots. I would very much recommend reading the first three-issue storyline from 2012 if you haven't truncated it at that and uh it this is where i suspect for those looking for the payoff i started cursing <laughs> yes, graham god damn this it graham exactly. Ah. Uh, i take it you haven't read it no i still haven't read it okay here's the thing i have made attempts to read it on maybe four different occasions before this week mm-hmm. um and in every single case i got killed not with the first issue but with the prologue Mm. That is in the first collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jeff and I both have. It was a humble bundle, right? It was a cu- humble uh, bundle gifted by Mark Dasbender, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's it's got the collections, it's got the first six collections, and and this is even before I got this question. I was like, I'm just going to read these. I'm finally going to read them. Damn it, I'm going to do it <laughs> uh, because in the past I've I've got to the first issue, which is the the prologue, not the first issue of the series proper. Mm-hmm. And it's the death of Optimus Prime. And it is essentially an epilogue to a story I haven't read that is continuity porn for Transformers. Um, and it stopped me in my tracks every single fucking time. Mm-hmm. Every single time. I was just like, I don't know and I don't give a shit about any of this stuff. <laughs> this has thrown me out amazingly quickly. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I just can't do this. I can't do this. This I don't want to do this. There are countless other things I can do with my time. Mm-hmm. So this weekend, I was like, screw it. I'm going to read it. In large part because House Astonish recently did a, a review of the most recent issue. And they were like, it's the best comic that's being published in wow. the in Western industry. Like, they're like, not at all. They're like, if this wasn't a Transformers comic, people would be losing their minds over it. Wow. Um, I was like, I'm, okay, I've got these PDFs. I'm going to fucking read this comic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure it goes as far as it's inexplicably excellent, mm-hmm. but it's far better than you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of stumbling blocks if you were not inherently a Transformers fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of that isn't the fault of the book as much as the fault of the Transformers. Mm-hmm. Which is they all have meaningless names, and there are so many of them, right? That you know they'll be like, "Where's Windcharger?" And you'll have this moment of like, "I don't even know who Windcharger is." <laughs> you know, 
Like, all of them look like generic robots to me, and all of them have meaningless names. Is Windcharger a good guy or a bad guy? In fact, not helped by the fact that the entire setup of it, because there's no more war between the Autobots and the Decepticons. Mm. So you no longer have, is he a good guy or a bad guy? It's like, yeah, they're all together. Um, but it's really good. It is very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can wrestle with the Transformers ness of it all, which is a lot to wrestle with, Jeff. It really is. And I say that as someone who grew up reading the Marvel comic and loved it as a kid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you can't deal with Transformers for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it's not worth your while because that stuff will kill you stone dead. Wow. But um, but if you can, mm-hmm. Roberts, James Roberts, the writer, works really hard to A, set up not only a larger quest and reason for the series to exist, mm-hmm. but also very quickly to key off that and go, nothing's going to go to plan. Like within three issues, he's like, here are your main characters, of which there are far too many for the books on good. Mm-hmm. Um, here is the larger mission statement of the book. Here's what sets it apart from the other Transformer series. Mm-hmm. And then here's how everything goes to shit. Wow. In three issues, which is amazing economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It has a problem of the characters aren't really differentiated. And at this point, I'm I finished the second collection. At this point, you, the characters aren't really differentiated unless it's in really broad strokes. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you have the cartoonishly, like here's the drunk of them. Here's the paranoid one. Here's, you know what I mean? But when you get beyond that level of like, you know, oh, there's <laughs> not a lot to differentiate between them. Uh, in terms of like he he doesn't he can't work subtly he works really cartoonishly. Mm-hmm. Uh, although apparently that changes. Apparently it it gets more subtle as the series continues. Hmm. Um, but it's certainly enjoyable. Hmm. It's but it's it's a it's a fight. It really is because of the transformeriness of it. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I you know I got to admit I. Maybe I'll, I'd love to, I'd love to jump in on it. Transformers is one of those things where it's like I started it on with the original Marvel books and I was like, oh Jesus, I don't know, I fuck. So right. I, yeah. Because the original right. books really are like, it's giant robots, you guys. Well, it's, like, else, it's giant robots. Giant, I'm okay with giant robots, but there was actually, you know, honestly, it was more of kind of the 80s Marvel storytelling where it was just like, my fucking eyes. Because it, it, it's that miracle <laughs> it's, it's of... A horrible book. Oh. Because the original issues are, are, are ugly as shit. They are just, they are. They're ugly as hell. And part of that is, again, some of Jim Shooter's, like, dictates for verbal story, visual storytelling, which are very much being taken to heart. I'm like, you cannot show your human cast and your giant robot cast like all together in the same in the same panel, you know what I mean? Like it just is awful. It's just it's visual. It's just a visually. It is literally hard on my eyes because I'm because I am old and it is terrible. Well, so this 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 is visually hard on the eyes, not because it's an ugly book, but because no offense to all the Transformers fans out there, but your the design of those characters is generic as shit, right? 
it, it really is. Hmm. And so, sure, it's it's very well done for Transformers books, but Transformers are not really visually distinctive unless they're, you know, it's Megatron. You can tell because he's got a fucking cannon on his hand. Right. Right. There are you know? a few that you can It's almost sort of frightening try. because he actually looks like a truck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's come to my rescue a few times, but... Oh. Yeah, but beyond that... Uh, Jeff, we have like six questions and maybe half an hour to go. So yeah. just rush through. Do you want to just rush through and try well, to do it? Or should, we, or should we save that for... Should we do this as like two episodes? I mean, it's oh, kind of weird since we've got a Jeff, skip week, but yeah. No, let's do it as two episodes and let's open it up for everyone else. <gasps> wow. Okay. All right. Wow. Listeners, if you are not a Patreon uh, supporter, but you'd like to ask us questions... Mm-hmm. Ask us questions. Uh, email them to waitwhatpodcast at gmail dot com. That's right. Uh, God knows how many we'll get to because we only did like six in this episode. Yeah. But um, yeah, e- email and ask. Uh, Patreon people, we will do the remainder of your questions first. They yes. are an absolute. I figure we can get like at least another question today. Uh, okay, I was just a little worried because I think the one that I had next on my list was Chris. Oh, it's, it's Morris. a big one. It, yeah. it's, it's Chris's, which is which might take a long time. So yeah. if you want to skip out, oh, you know, you know what we should do? What we should do, Tom's. Oh no, we did Tom's. Tom's we did Tom's. The, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I got completely distracted because of all the dog stuff. I kept thinking Tom's was not the. Ah, uh, never mind. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking for quick ones then. Yeah. Carlos is kind of a quick one. That's tough. I'm seriously, there's a lot of these that are rough. The closest one that I think might be a, a quick one is Tim Riffenberg's, actually. Yeah, that was the one I was just looking at. Okay, okay so let's do Tim's, and then the rest we'll do the next episode. And if anyone else wants to send in, uh, questions, we'll do them in the next Wait What episode. Yeah. yeah sound like one? Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do yeah, that. We're doing this live while you're listening. That's the sort of organization you can expect from us. Oh, boy. Yes, Tim Riffenberg okay. or Riffenberg? I don't I, I... say Riffenberg, and I'm going to read it because you've read the last one. Ooh, okay. I was curious if there's a run, a title, or series that you've always wanted to read or tried to get into that for various reasons you have not. It's almost like I was just talking about that. Isn't that weird? Yes. Yeah, um, G-Man's, and thank you so much for calling me G-Man's, post on Judge Dredd sparked the question. I've tried to get into it, and it just leaves me cold. I can appreciate the art or a story point, but overall, I don't engage with it. I was wondering if there's a particular title or character that you both do not get the buzz about. Uh, Serapist yeah. Aardvark. Oh, interesting. I can see that. I can just, see how that's never worked it. for you. And to be honest, like, a bunch of things. Cobra. I can, oh I yeah, totally, you. I can did. totally appreciate Copra on a technical level, mm-hmm. and I don't get it. Enough. Wow, really? I don't know why people are super excited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's super exciting, of course. I know, right? Yeah. I, I, and so does everyone else in their own planet. <laughs> yeah. But like, I remember reading. I'm being like, huh? Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's it's a Suicide Squad comic. <laughs> exactly. Actually, while I'm on the subject, super quickly, um, as part of you know DC sending out comps for all the, the titles, I've read the first three parts of the, of the Suicide Squads. I think it's nine, ten, eleven of the of the current series. Uh huh. And I kind of want someone else who's read it and has read the Astranda run to tell me if I'm insane because it feels like the Astranda run, <laughs> and I. I I don't know what to do with that because 
I've read a lot of the Suicide... In fact, I've read all of the Suicide Squad since the New 52. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been high points. Alex Scott's, like, three issues were great. Yeah. Uh, there's been low points. Almost everything else in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it never felt like a Strander Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And this new run in particular, like this storyline in particular, really does. Hmm. Really, really does. And I don't know if, A, it's Stockholm Syndrome, and I've just read so many Suicide Squad comics that I'm not like, sure, that's, that's what it was like. B, it is, mm-hmm. in which case, why are more people not talking about this comic? Yeah, completely. Because I'm like, hmm, tell me more. Is in like, well, I in, might get in large, that, yeah. in large part because they finally got an artist who is not completely ill-suited for the book on it. Mm-hmm. They finally got an artist who is not terrible. Um, because the same writer, a guy called Sean Ryan, relaunched the book because new Suicide Squad, um, and the art was pretty much like someone had fed it through the Jim Lee 1992 a mm. and it was t- terrible, mm-hmm. terrible, and it's such a shame because what he was writing was super interesting because he relaunched the title and it was the regular cast, which is Deadshot, Black Manta, Harley Quinn, and Captain Boomerang, mm. uh, but they were joined by Dead uh, Deathstroke. And the Joker's daughter. Hmm. And what was interesting is throughout the first storyline, before he writes out Destro and Joker's daughter, he basically has the character who's coming to run the squad over Amanda Waller act as an analogue for DC management mm-hmm. and say things like, yeah, I brought these characters in because there's much more buzz about them. They're really buzzy, and we've got this buzzy concept, but we didn't have buzzy characters. And if we bring buzzy characters in, then more people are going to like it. And you have Waller just be like, yeah, but that doesn't work. It's That's not how things work. You have to have characters that work together and make sense. Otherwise, everyone will reject it. Mm. And this discussion is going on, like, as the story is going on, proving, you know, these are terrible characters. And you have Harley Quinn basically be like, you're Sujoko's daughter. You're, you're terrible. You're completely original. You, you bring nothing to the game. You're wearing another guy's face, so what? There's nothing to you. Mm. You know? So you have this weird... But at the same time, the art is terrible. So you're, like, you're struggling through. You're like, oh, he's really trying... So this new storyline is they are essentially sent to infiltrate ISIS. Mm-hmm. They're not called ISIS because... <laughs> who would want to do that? <laughs> right. Um, but they're essentially sent to infiltrate ISIS. Uh, and what makes it really interesting to me is Black Manta goes native. Hmm. And he's like, okay, I can I can understand these guys. Mm-hmm. These guys are making sense. Hmm. And so he starts trying to undercut the team. Mm-hmm. And not outright be like, I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. But just be like, what if I just set you in, into lots of situations where you'll have to do what we want or you'll get killed? Mm. And so you have this really remarkably subtle interplay inside a comic that is still, I'm Deadshot, you know, my hand's a fucking gun. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it'll blow things up. I'm Captain Boomerang, you know, I am a drunk Australian. So you have, for me, which which was the Australian run for me. Yes, the, absolutely remarkably subtle stuff interplaying with, like, Shrander did the whole who is throwing pies at other characters joke. Yeah. Like, for years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really feels it's like, oh, this this guy's actually worked out what worked about Shrander's run. You know, which is utterly unexpected. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Hmm. Uh, so there you go. Oh, the other thing I want to say quickly about DC's current books is, hey, Gail Simone really was going where everyone thought she was going in Secret Six, and I'm fascinated by it. Tell me more, and also, I think I'm like, tell me more, keeping in mind, I apparently will be answering Tim Reifenberg's question next episode. <laughs> no, 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 we're going to do it. I'm going to do it super quickly. Um, the character of Duke is, in fact, Ralph Dibney. Um, and it's what happened to Ralph Dibney when he was blackmailed into working for Mockingbird, who is the Riddler. They finally come out and said it. Um, after he assumed that Sue Dibney had been killed, only for it to turn out that Sue Dibney is not dead. Sue Dibney is not dead. Yeah, well, New 52, so like... Of course. That that crisis never happened. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Those guys, those crazy people. Huh, so how much of that was everyone predicting? Like, all of that? A bunch. A bunch. Because at one point... They've they've been really underplaying that that, uh, the Drew character had superpowers, but it seemed like he would hulk out. Mm -hmm. And then at one point, someone referred to him as Ralph. Mm. And people were like, "Wait, so he can change his shape, and he's called Ralph." And he kept—he always—he was also talking about his dead wife a lot. That was his main signifier, right? Well, and people were like, it. "Dead wife called Ralph." Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm super curious as to see where it goes. Hmm. Have you been yeah. enjoying the book, or I, ha- I have surprisingly okay. much more, and much more now that Dale Eaglesham's come on as artist. Hmm. Uh, because Daily Gusham, I've realized, is in many ways uh, very inspired by, by Will Eisner in ways I hadn't noticed before. Huh. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of – it's a very strange but, but weirdly interesting book. Definitely the most interesting thing Simone's done in fucking years. Interesting. interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Tim Reifenberg, what, what runs have you tried to get into and failed? Gosh, that, that, uh, you know, well, I mean, I think, I think we've talked a little bit about the fact that I just can't seem to get traction on Valiant stuff, even though I think that it's indisputable, uh, quality. And frankly, the, the, the fact that it came out on wherever it came out on that, that they were among the best paying company in the business for their creative talent. I'm like, I gotta go back and give these guys like everything they're doing is, Basically what I, you know, is what should be done in the way that I feel. So, um, but I always feel bad that it's like I hit it and then I'm always like, ah, it's okay. It never seems to quite grab my interest kind of thing. You know, um, that's a toughie. I mean, 2000 AD was tough until I turned the corner on it. But that being said, you know, as you know, I, I got really behind on my subscriptions and then I let, I didn't renew them. So I've got a, a large digital backlog of 2080 stuff that I keep meaning to tackle and just haven't, but that's not the same yeah, as not also, being into that, it. Yeah. That know? can be exhausting. Like the idea of like, Oh shit, yeah. I've got a year of that to catch up on. Oh God. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm trying to think, of course, American flag was hugely embarrassing for me. Um, why is Ah, well, because I do think that America, because, you know, honestly, just about everyone that I respect as a as a creator and as a commentator gives that work so much props, so much props. Like, seriously, just the fact that, I mean, the number of people that I went through a phase when I was young enough that I like if Alan Moore talked well about them, I went and hunted them down, which is actually how I sort of ended up following Eddie Campbell, like you know, comparatively early into his, you know, 
publishing in America kind of thing, uh, or distribution in America, I should say. But like, you know, Moore was speaking so incredibly highly of Chaikin's work on American flag and, and the world building in it that, and yet for whatever reason, I just, I just, I can't, I just drag my feet on it. There's just something about it that, um, I'm, I'm super curious what you're going to make when you finally read it. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be it'll be interesting because cause part of me is yeah because people are still like oh and it still holds up is amazing. Um, but what's what's interesting is it kind of has the same like it has a Watchmen problem of mm-hmm. so many things have lifted from it. Yeah, and that's what I've like, kind of worried about. Yeah, oh, in large part, uh, I think Frank Miller lifted wholesale for Dark Knight. Interesting. It wouldn't surprise. Yes. Well, how do I put it? There's definitely stuff. Yeah, the stuff that that dopes like me attribute to Miller, like the the TV screen uh, yeah, exposition stuff. Yeah, exactly. That that's a big deal. Um, and there may just well be like there's a lot of Chaikin's. Chaikin took an inherently cartoony view of the world the world building in his book. And I think that's the thing. Every time I come at it, I'm like, it's, and this is something that actually Miller, I guess also lifted from American flag because Miller's worlds become a lot less naturalistic and a much more blatantly satirical starting at dark Knight or even Electra assassin. I think, you know, yeah, you can definitely draw a straight line between American flag and give me Liberty. Right. Well, give me like, liberty. Like straight light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read all of those. I read the, the big Dark Horse Life and Times of Martha Washington collection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, there is work that uh, feels – like I feel like it's a minor Miller work and a minor, minor Gibbons work. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but a major chicken work? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was going to say like it, it feels it feels like it's earned the minor status when you read it. Yeah, you know, if it, it feels like what they did when they were goofing off. Honestly, it didn't feel strong to me. I remember reading the individual issues of "Give Me Liberty." I'm not even sure I made it to the end of that first miniseries. Uh, like, yeah, I think I, I, I well, and what's amazing is they get to the end of the first miniseries, and I think Miller might have had serious intent at that point, mm-hmm. but almost immediately with the next story, it's he's it feels like he's trying to do. 2008, weirdly enough. Well, he even I th- I want to say I could be wrong. Maybe it was in his second miniseries, but I swear I read an interview in the first miniseries where he says something along the lines of, you know, something like maybe it was something along the lines of in Electra Assassin, Bill Sinkovich Bill Sinkovich was the comedian and I was the straight man, and in Martha Washington, I'm the comedian and Dave Gibbons is my straight man. You know, and so. So it's that idea of like he's drawing stuff that's kind of crazily absurd that he really wants to be see that he really wants Gibbons to draw straight and that that makes it funnier for him. But for me, I was just there was kind of a little bit of that element of if nothing else, Martha Washington is really where I'm like, no, my my sense of humor is vastly different from Frank Miller's at this point. Yes. You know? Yes. And, and I think that is kind of that's a huge step back. But that is that idea. The idea that that you draw a line from American flag to Martha Washington. I'm like, oh, okay, well that makes a lot of sense because I could never get into that. <laughs> but either. Al- but also you're like, wait, maybe I don't want to read American flag. When you're yeah. when you're up in Portland, you should just uh, take the the American flag 
hard covers, uh, hard copies I've got. Wow, that is, ladies and gentlemen, because if you're not reading them in digital, like if they're right there, yeah, I no, see, I think more chance to read them. I I feel like I have. Well, maybe we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, let's let's keep that under. So I think American flag again worth underlining. There was another one that I remember. Oh, I've never ever we mentioned this this for a long time was such a staple. I've never gotten into ElfQuest. I never read any of the books. Service <laughs> I was able to get into, but ElfQuest every time I'm like, I've I've read some ElfQuest. I didn't get into it, but I like that's fine. Yeah. And, and then there's certain uh, underground cartoonists. Like I've never gotten into Justin Green's work, which is he's one of those dudes that that depending on who you talk to is really influential for underground comics. Everyone was like, "Oh, you got to read like Binky Brown versus the Virgin Mary is like a game changer for underground comics." And I'm like, I honestly, I every time I've only picked it up in the store and flipped through it and been like, "Nah, it's not going to work for me." It's just not I, I I've just realized that I, there, there's two things, two creators that I could name that will make you appalled because they're two of your maybe not favorites, but two beloved ones: Jim mm-hmm. Starlin mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, John Porcellino. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I I just again I I recognize their technical talent and just cannot. And I tried. I got the fucking yeah. um, mm-hmm. Jim Starlin Thanos graphic novel at the library. The new one, sequel to Infinity Revelation, whatever it's called. <laughs> Infinity, I am going to masturbate over this book for the next, like, 72 pages or whatever he called it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's amazing that it got published, Jeff. If there's no, like, weird legal reason that Marvel had to publish it, it's astounding <laughs> it got published. It's just, it's so out of sync with everything else Marvel is doing. Yeah, but you know, didn't the first? I think the first Thanos graphic novel sold them very well for them, like very well. well. It, it, it's which, if you think about, is kind of amazing, Graham. It's kind of amazing that they had. It's, it isn't. It isn't because Thanos is like the one character they keep on talking about as a big deal in movies without actually showing him. Sure, exactly. So totally, yeah. the the fans who are like, I've got to find out about more this, more mm-hmm. about this Thanos guy, and you put out a book called Thanos, right? Then sure, it's going to sell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. It, it's funny. Uh, I actually, god damn, was it your Savage at uh, Savage Creek? Was it wait? What podcast where you wrote about the hospital suite and was yes. just brutal about oh, it? Yeah, I, oh. I and it was. I felt bad. Ooh, so I was oh. like, Jeff loves this book. Jeff I know. Well, well, and this this is that I thing. Is, I was reading it, and almost everything that not everything I didn't like about it, but I was so conscious of things that you would like. Yes, that book. I was yeah. so conscious. That I was like, Jeff would really appreciate this. It's leaving me cold, or I dislike it. Well, and that's what's fascinating. I mean, the, when you talk about like Squirrel Girl or stuff like that, there have been enough things where it's like we're when you and I are in sync, we're very much in sync. When we're out of sync, we're dramatically out of sync. You know what I mean? Like it's not just a oh, it was okay, just kind of not my thing kind of deal. Oh, no, it's it's, like, it was a, I did not like this book. Like, yeah. I think this book is not bad, but, like, I think it's... Oh, I, you I, were brutal to the hospital I, suite. Oh, Oof. I, Jeff, I was nice on the website. See, and that means, like, that feelings, really means, like... Feelings ooh. of the hospital suite? Yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm not even going to go. I was nice for your sake. Oh, God. Oh. I, I think that book is an amazing, like... 
exercise in navel gazing from yeah i i think it's wow. i think it's terrible Ooh, ouch okay i you know what's very funny uh at the end i was like hey eddie campbell is like a cross between these two guys and then this weekend i read a book that genuinely is a cross between uh Perchilino and dustin harbin mm-hmm. which is the guy to book i read burma chronicles for the first time oh. and i feel that he he genuinely is the um the reportage of of Porcellino mm-hmm. with the anecdotal and very fragmented level of Harbin. So un- un- unlike Campbell, who is relatively extended narratives, mm-hmm. like Delil really is like here is a you know here are at most a five page sequence right on a particular subject, all within a book about that subject. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And again, I love Guy Delisle, so right. That's actually one that I'm I'm behind on. I actually haven't read Guy Delisle's stuff still. None of it. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I haven't read uh, Pyongyang or um, the other one that he followed it up with. <laughs> Pyongyang. Uh, oh God, I can't remember the next one. Uh, then it goes Burma Chronicles, and then Jerusalem. And ah, honestly, read them in the order that they're published. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's actually like best to least good. Okay. In a weird way. Best I, to least I, good? I, okay. Yes. I think that Pyongyang is his strongest. That's what many people have said. And for, for – so yeah, which is – I can't remember the second one for the life of me. All I remember is it's about China and I can't remember the name of the place. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember either because it's also it got Shinsen? that place name. I think it might be. Uh, come on, internet. Don't let me down. It's totally letting me down, Jeff. Is it? Uh, uh, Shenzhen. Shenzhen? Shenzhen, is it? Yeah, Shenzhen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it, it, for me, it is. Oh, no, Pyongyang actually came out second. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Greed's Pyongyang first, mm-hmm. then Shenzhen, then Burma Chronicles, and then Jerusalem. Yeah. Because uh, Jerusalem is particularly muddy. Hmm. It, it, it feels like he didn't, like he had a lot to say, but didn't quite know how to say it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like Pyongyang, which is just wonderfully focused. Well, yeah, I think Pyongyang was like it. It did come out second, but it was the one that got all the attention. I think in part because he he really did refine his what he was trying to do uh, after. And, and also, look, looking at it now, apparently Pyongyang came out first in America, which is probably what explains it. Oh, yeah, right. Maybe that's it as well, too. So, uh, but like, so I I, I got his. Uh, parenting guide book uh from drawing a quarterly at, at comic-con mm-hmm. and it's it's cute but compared with everything else he's done it's very throwaway mm-hmm. and so there really is a sense of like did he peak really early <laughs> right <laughs> i don't know it is fascinating because his work kind of um uh yeah it definitely it definitely seems that he continues to be kind of considered as a major talent Without any of his books, it seems like really being discussed or considered in, in any length. After, which is a shame because he is actually when he's on, he's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, sorry, I didn't like uh, Hospital Suite, but I really, really didn't like Hospital Suite. I really, really, really didn't like Hospital Suite. Wow, wow. Which again, I like, I just like, was I, I, I he annoyed me. In Hospital yeah, well, Suite. you see, and, and this is he. Yeah. He was. Just, I was just like. 
Yep, I can totally see why your wife left you to like the whole thing. Oh man, that was so, oh god. Sweet Jesus. Okay, well, uh, Graham, should we close this, uh, SOB up? Do you think? Sure. Let's yeah. sew it up like a surgeon. Uh, the various people whose questions we have not answered. Who would be, uh, Chris Carfola, Carlos Aguilar, uh, Max Brown, and Kevin Moreau? We'll do you next time, which will not be next week, but will be the week after that, I think. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll tackle your questions then, along with anyone else who wants to write to waitbotpodcasts at gmail.com. That's right. If you want to find us elsewhere on the internet, uh, we are at waitwadpodcast.com, where myself, Jeff self, and Matt Terrell self, uh, all write written posts every week. We are also at waitbotspods.tumblr.com, where I will one day post things again. It's been a busy week. You've had some uh, pretty good stuff. I, I posted a link to like, hey, everybody, here's what I'm writing. And it was like, oh, oh, no one cares. Oh, well, I'll get around to posting more stuff later. <laughs> um, we are also on Twitter at at Wait What Podcast. Although I, I feel that that's mostly just to tell people that episodes are up. Do you ever really do anything on there? I, I, feel, I feel like we don't use it as much as we should, Jeff. You, we well, that that is the story of us and the Wait What social media machine, really. But we did link it to the Tumblr, so when you do update on Tumblr, it does go through the Twitter. And I saw a certain degree of faving and retweeting action happening there. And sometimes, if people ask us specific questions on on Wait What podcast, I that, usually that, will get around to answering. Yeah, so. Yes. Or they could even come in here. You never know. They might even have up on the next question and answer. That's right. Podcast. Um, Jeff is on Twitter himself. If you want to ask Jeff Jeff specific questions. Oh, God. I, and I, I think you definitely should. <laughs> how big is your beard? How, how is that getting rid of all those comics going? And you can ask Jeff about his other 50th birthday uh, plans, of which he does have them. I'm just not mentioning them because I don't want Jeff to be held to them by lots of podcast listeners. Um, he's at LazyBastid, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. That's right. I also have a Twitter. I'm at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Uh, I think that's all people really need to know. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, Patreon. People should definitely keep oh, an eye out for us. Yes, <laughs> because... <laughs> Our Patreon supporters got to ask questions. That's uh, right. If you want to ask questions, you might just, out of the kindness of your heart, want yeah. to uh, support the podcast. If you do, thanks very much. Oh, also, next uh, podcast, Jeff, we should really name all the Patreon people that are uh, supporting Yes, us. that is right. That is absolutely right. Uh, we will do the, the another epic name-off to thank everyone. But yeah, definitely just stop by and check us out at patreon.com slash podcast. Um, you'll see some of the potential swag that you could get if you decided to uh, sign up and help support us. Uh, you can, you'll be able to see how, thanks to the 108 people who support us, we do things like being able to do written entries every week. Um, and of course the Baxter, the Baxter building, building, which is yes. very important. Our, our monthly podcast about reread, the reread of volume one of the Fantastic Four entirely, um, the people who support us on Patreon should be thanked, not blamed, but thanked. So no, they should definitely be thanked for that. All blame goes to us. All credit goes to the Patreon people. Thanks very much. There we go. Exactly. So uh, also, I thought reread uh, for a second there was a read Richards pun. Oh yeah, read and reread. Hey, uh, Graham, on that merry horrible pun, did you want to sing us out? I didn't, but because you asked, I will. 
Yay. Bye. So well done. So well done. As ever. Thank you.